The following program is intended for mature audiences. People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. Look, I love Gary. He's fantastic. And you're listening to the Martian Revelation. Strap in tight. Go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's www.thefacesofmars.com. According to a new report in the New York Times, the U.S. government may have physical evidence of, and we're quoting, off-world vehicles not made on this Earth. Surely the days of the great Martian Revelation are upon us. Yeah, you know your witchcraft, but it's working on me. 
Yes, here we go again. The madness continues. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and all you ETs out there in the bite waves of the Internet and wherever you're at down through time monitoring this show. I'm Gary Legere, the Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian, and I would like to welcome you all to the Martian Revelation that is upon you all again now. Welcome to the Bazaar. And today is November 21st, the 2020, or the 22nd, depending upon your time zone, as this airs through time. <clears throat> and you're listening to this broadcast through Global Enlightenment Radio Network stream, and also through the Martian Revelation Show YouTube stream live at www.thefacesofmars.com. That's Mars. That's right, which everyone knows is your defense for the war, which we all fight against evil dark missioners. And there is a real war going on between the dark missioners and we the people. Wake up! And yet they are all leading you away from the light and the truth and manipulating you all instead to help you open your wallets and your pocketbooks to only join their dark side and special clubs and special subscriptions that only allows them more power to continue to mislead you all and to steer you all away from the truth that they themselves not wish to face or even admit to. Hell, the let alone even talk about. Yeah, UFO Diaries. Faces on Mars. Cover up controversy down through time. Huge conspiracy. It is a conspiracy. Okay. <laughs> but the Martian revelation is, however, 100% listener supported, with no special clubs or any special subscriptions to join. So if you're a listener, please help support the Martian revelation show again, which is your only defense for that war, which we all fight against evil dark missioners. <laughs> And we're working with the goal each week to bring you the truth one show at a time. Again, no special clubs, special subscriptions. <laughs> okay. So please share the facesofmars.com link. And I must also ask you all, though, that you please donate to the show with anything that you can afford by clicking on the big red, white, and blue American donate button at the top of the show page to allow it to continue being here for you down through time, as it is because of you, the listener, of which makes the Martian Revelation possible to be brought to you all back through time. Yeah, I'm crazy, but so your listenership and your donation support actually counts, and it helps us all to not only fight, but to win against those evil dark missionaries, <laughs> as well as to secure future, which we all could literally make the Martian Revelation our reality by what? By making our fate. But you know how else you can help make our fate? Is by advertising or sponsoring this show. You could advertise your business, your products, your books, whatever it is that you would like to advertise. Or even if you have a message that you would like to have advertised on this show, heard all around the world and kept in the archives as well, where it will always be heard. And those archives are hit constantly. But no special clubs or special subscriptions. So if you'd like to advertise on this show, or sponsor it. You especially need to jot this down, MarsRevealer at gmail.com. MarsRevealer at gmail.com. That's my email. And using that email address of MarsRevealer at gmail.com, you can send me messages, questions, music, or artwork, or guest requests, or even if you wish to request to be a guest, or anything else that you would like to speak to me about. Especially if it has to do with any old yet new image data showing other faces of Mars taken by the Viking orbiters from 1976 slash 82. 
that was seen in a video that's also seen on the facesofmars.com page called UFO Diaries. Yeah, UFO Diaries. Cydonia, Discover the Earth-Mars Connection. It's only a 22-minute long video, and you'll be very surprised to see who's more than two-thirds of it. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Who is also the same person who encouraged me years ago to investigate into these images and into that video. And the dude is serious legwork, because I'm just too swamped at present. That was his exact words. Now, down through time, we're more acclimated. We understand what that means. What's Trump trying to drain now in the Patriots? The swamp. The dark side, the bad guys, the controllers, the ones that want to keep us down on the farm. So Hoagland was telling us in code back then, he was too swamped at present. He's part of the swamp, which does not want the secrets out. Again, and upon my follow-up investigations and that, getting to the producers. The fascination of the faces on Mars for me and, and uh, in my fascination with Richard Hoagland, who's been the, the big mover and shaker in all of that. The investigation led back to him, and then all of a sudden he wanted it stopped to derail it. Not just derail it, but try to derail me to destroy my life and this show. <laughs> To prevent you all from seeing and knowing about the truth or even just asking questions. No matter what still the truth is, questions need to be asked and answered to get to the truth. Not what you think you know or what you think you want to know or what you think the answers are or to steer people in a certain way to think the way that you do while asking for special clubs and special subscriptions. <laughs> And not allowing what the people would really want to ask basic questions to get the truth of? Well, I'm suspicious. Uh, we got them from Hoagland, we got them from NASA, and there you are. I mean, one of them's going to say, yeah, those are ours. Which are our pictures. It led back to him. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. So when I say NASA, I want to be very clear. I'm NASA and you're not. And that's what the acronym stands for. The great mystery at this point seems to be if the Enterprise mission and its colleagues can find all this and so much more, then why can't NASA? Or is there something more? Is it possible that they have seen what we have seen and also understand what's really there, but have a reason to keep silent? He says to stop further investigation into mysterious pictures. Damn it, are you fucking with me? Mr. Hoagland says... I are evidence of intelligent life. You, you, you need to get more down in the weeds and look at some of the weird stuff going on behind the scenes around. Those faces of Mars that are seen in that video are not seen in any NASA public archive, especially for Viking, as it literally took me a year and a half to process the Viking Orbiter archives, and they're not in them. But the thing is, long story short, the producers, Charles E. Sellier, of once Grizzly Adams Productions, God rest his soul, and the Lee Eric Shackelford had stated that Richard Hoagland provided those images. I mean, Mr. Sellier in an email wrote to me too. These files came from Richard Hoagland. Why would he be needing them from us? Especially after all this time, I add. Since that video was made, it was released in 93. That means Hoagland provided them with those images before 93, at least. You know, a lot of people will think that your conspiracy theories make you stark raving mad. Well, I'm suspicious. I'm NASA and you're not. <laughs> so check out that video and check out the faces images that are in that video that I'm on the hunt for. 
So if you're someone who works on the inside that knows about these images, the faces on Mars, or has access, or knows the information that could guide us to where they are, <laughs> you can remain anonymous. Your anonymity will be respected and upheld, and we all respect you and commend your nuts for doing so in advance. I could be and will be your public sector. You could remain all of our private sector. Or even if you have any other knowledge of any other, even modern space imagery that shows very implicating things that we the people have a right to see and to know about and that we should know about, about what's really not just on Mars but anywhere in space. Even if you're for an international space agency who hears this show, which I know they do, especially in Russia and Europe, the commie Chinese... I don't want none of you. But I encourage the rest of you all also to email me at marsrevealer at gmail.com. Again, that's marsrevealer at gmail.com. Just remember also that if you're listening to this show, then you are the resistance down through time. We got a cool show for everyone tonight as we're going to have Dr. Bruce Cornett on with us later on. Getting into the interesting realities of what is also trying to be pushed away from us. Nothing to see here. Under the rug, keep moving on, Nazis, those who not see what is the reality of what is coming upon us, of which the Martian Revelation's foundations are built upon it. But until then, let's get into some interesting news. As this interesting race to space that is not being very publicized in the way of which it needs to be, we got some tiptoe through the tulips, new news. Here upon our Mars Perseverance Forever rover as it travels through deep space. Yes, now you can hear some audio of it as it travels through deep space. At least a minute of it. And a microphone aboard NASA's Mars 2020 Perseverance Forever rover has recorded the sounds of the spacecraft as it hurdles through interplanetary space, while another mic on board the rover is intended specifically to listen for the laser zaps of the SuperCam instrument. This one is devoted to capturing some or all of the entry, descent, and landing sequence. From the firing of the mortar that releases the parachute to the Mars landing engines, kicking in the gear to rover wheels crunching down onto the surface. Data for the one-minute audio file was collected on October 19th during an in-flight checkout of the camera and microphone system that will pick up some of the landing drama at Mars's Jezero crater early next year. The landing drama! This whole thing has been a damn drama! And even more so important now of why we all must focus on this space race. 
So as we tiptoe through the tulips here, so as any fan of cinematic sci-fi knows, the vacuum of space is less than optimal environment for auditory transmissions. But that doesn't mean you can't find another way. Sound waves could travel through solid objects. When these mechanical vibrations are registered by an electrical component, they sometimes are turned into an electrical signal. Anyone listening to music through in-ear headphones may have encountered this phenomena as a rustling or thumping noise when the headphone cord brushes up against the surface. Yep, but the sound file was processed by DPA microphones of Alor Denmark, which manufactured the EDL microphone hardware flying on the Mars 2020. All this international cooperation and collaboration. More tip two through the tulips, Nazis. But as great as it is to pick up a little audio on spacecraft operations in flight, the sound file has a more important meaning, Gruel said. It means that our system is working and ready to try to record some of the sound and fury of a Mars landing. I like to hear it also as it's rolling around and roving on the surface, especially as it runs over potentially squishing things. But the EDL microphone was not tailor-made for this mission or space exploration, and the team does not know quite what to expect from their sound files of landing day. Ah, oh, you see what I mean? Not that much ingenuity being put into the basics of what should be covered, like lowering a damn 8-ounce glass of water onto the surface of Mars, lower it on the boom, pull the cap off, let, let's see how fast it evaporates, according to their models, and let's see with microscopes upon it of what happens inside, what's going on inside. But humanity's most sophisticated rover is really, really is traveling to the red planet with the Ingenuity Mars helicopter. Yes, but remember, the most sophisticated rover, they're telling you how much they reamed your ass. Why? Because they're not even sending anything to actually detect life. Only multi-million dollar experiments to look for the possible signs of ancient past life. Possible signs. Not to actually detect it like it was in 1976 aboard the Viking landers that landed 4,000 miles apart. Chrysoplanitia and Utopia Planitia. Dual tests done and replicated indicating life. Detecting life, it's what the technology is still, to this day, the best technology to detect it. So, for life as we know it. Now, so instead of answering the question with follow-up replications, even though we already have two sites replicating each other's tests in 1976, so, what gives? The turtleneck snail pay speed policy agenda gives. The very policy enforces that behind that policy that keep the wool over our eyes and not want to mention the facts of the reality of the space race and the implications and the importance of it that we're now in. And now is the time and dire that we act. Because as it's so great hearing of these various probes going to Mars, Europe's is going to be launching late. That's okay. It's still on its way in time frame to be part of a race. But there's another player in this race besides India with the HOPE mission. We have China, okay? Also racing with bigger plans and ambitions, sticking their middle fingers up at us and what they've done and what they've been doing and what's being done even right now to destroy our place in this race and to gain the high ground of space. 
and reap all the rewards and dominate over the earth and destroy America with. So is everyone so happy of the science and progress of China's missions to space in a short time compared to our multi-decades-long race away from space? The Chinese are now racing and forging ahead while the attack upon our country undergoes. Am I crazy? Well... Again, tiptoe through the tulips if you want to. As China's Mars probe travels over 300 million kilometers. From November 18th, China's Tianwen-1 probe had traveled 300 million kilometers as of Tuesday morning. This past Tuesday morning, according to the China National Space Administration, the administration said in a statement that the spacecraft had been in good condition. By Tuesday morning, the robotic probe had flown 116 days in an Earth-Mars transfer trajectory toward the red planet, around 63.8 million kilometers away from the Earth, it noted. Yes, and notice the listeners of this show could appreciate, or maybe some not appreciate, where I say, and when I say, I hope it blows up! That thing needs not to get there. They're not out to give you the knowledge that it gains and attains. See, that's the difference. They're not out there to share the educational progress and prowess. This is a race of which is soon going to be all the more important to you all. You need to wake up and why we must win as a nation. Not international collaborations and cooperations by... International collaborators. But that's my opinion. I'm crazy, but yet I have a right to speak at the moment, which they're trying to take away amongst our place in space and steal our heritage and this nation from us. But the spacecraft, T-Win-Win, is programmed to reach the Martian gravitational field in February and then begin to prepare for landing, which is expected to take place in May. After the landing, it will release a rover to conduct scientific exploration. The race is on. This ain't about science and knowledge for all of us. But Tingwen-1, the country's first independent Mars mission, was launched by a Long March 5 heavy-lift carrier rocket on July 23, 2020 at the Wing-Tang. Space Launch Center in Hengang Province, opening the nation's planetary exploration program. If everything goes according to schedule, the five metric ton probe, which consists of two major parts, the orbiter and the landing capsule, will travel more than 470 million kilometers before getting captured by the Martian gravitational field in February, when it will be 193 million kilometers away from Earth. By now, the spacecraft has fulfilled three mid-course corrections in a deep space orbital maneuver, according to the administration. The Kami Chinese administration. Remember that. But before Tengwen-1, there had been 45 Mars exploration missions since October of 1960, when the former Soviet Union launched the world's first Mars-bound spacecraft, and only 17 of them ended up as successful. In the second step in China's Mars exploration program, a larger probe will be sent off for Mars around 2030 to take samples and then return to the Earth, space officials have said. Now listeners to this show can see the bullshit right there and the importance and might appreciate how I feel and what I say about the race being on because what have we been also listening to of the shovelfuls of shit being shoveled to us by NASA policymakers? remember who are the same ones that have said always they're only looking for the possible signs of possible 
past life despite the evidence of its own robotic eyes and anything that it may see that would show and suggest otherwise. They have already stated, remember everyone, that they're going to roll on by to only focus on, pun intended, their objectives to the mission. Now, if they're doing that, what do you think the commie Chinese will be doing, number one? Okay? And also, the time frame of how Bass has been talking about, even internationally, still continuing to collaborate and cooperate with people trying to destroy this nation and take advantage of us and steal all our shit. Certainly not to our betterment for we the people to secure space in the model and the mode of which has been brought forth and about time by President Donald Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, who's also the chairman of the National Space Council, who both touted in bringing in the space force and the importance of it. And here from this bridge to space, our nation will return to the moon and we will put American boots on the face of Mars. It shows the importance of where all this goes and the planning of it. And what's being done to this nation, we're never even going to be able to obtain the goals before China, because we've been sold out. The race is on. The attack is on. We are in a war. And definitely to achieve success in that war against this nation and we the people, they must control the higher ground of space. That means cutting us off at the pass as they know the plan book that the turtleneck snail pay speed policy agenda brings it. And allows them, which is all their model for all how they were to destroy America and our space program and steal our heritage from us to begin with for decades. Look, our votes are trying to be stolen now. Wake up! We are at war. And we already know listeners of this show can appreciate much of anyway that Biden is going to scale back all these things, allowing them the open pathway just like they did in the South China Sea. They're allowing the door open for them to secure space. A detrimental threat to our nation. And we the people and our stability, our government, our way of life. And that's what this is about. So planning this return mission, which obviously, according to NASA, it could be 15 years. I don't buy into that bullshit. But bringing more samples to Earth could cost an extra $1 billion, but NASA should totally do it, experts say. It may also take two years longer than NASA is currently hoping. You see? Who gains the advantage? You will see, hopefully, by the end of these news pieces. But holding a pristine piece of Mars in a lab on Earth is among the most ambitious dreams of planetary scientists. Again, the outer limits of Sand Kings and NASA and its European counterpart want to make that dream become a reality. It's worthwhile, but it isn't going to be easy. An independent group of experts who spend two months poring over the existing plans say in a new report to NASA. That report offers 44 findings and 44 recommendations meant to identify and mitigate weaknesses in current plans and bureaucratic systems related to the mission all while warning that the mission may still miss its current cost and schedule goals. You hear that? Nazis ponder. But we unanimously believe that the Mars Sample Return Program should proceed. We think its scientific value will be extraordinarily high, with the potential for world-changing discoveries about the Earth's nearest planetary neighbor and possibly about an independent origin of life on another world. 
David Thompson, chair of the Independent Review Board and former president of Commercial Space Company, Orbital ATK, now part of Northrop Grumman Space Systems, said in a news conference held Tuesday, November 10th. However, as his first round trip mission to another planet, Mars sample return is also as an extremely ambitious, technically demanding, and operationally complex program. What a way to stir up the imagineering departments and people's minds to help make this all a reality. The race is on. And also notice, again, they want to bring it back to the Earth. Not to the Artemis, which will not really be there, but still, I believe, a platform in cislunar orbit where it could come, dock with and do tests on it, make sure it's safe to come back to Earth, send it to the ISS as a secondary boundary before it comes back to Earth after deemed safe through Phase 2. Phase 3, you bring it into a controlled lab on Earth and make sure it's safe and, and do whatever you're going to do. But yet you bitch about us sending anything to Mars that could affect the life there. Again, you're not even looking for life. But although the board found the crucial later spacecraft in the mission may be able to launch in 2026, a NASA and the European Space Agency currently hope the next launch window, which is in 2028, may well be more likely. NASA plans to continue targeting the earlier launch date and delay down the line as necessary, agency leadership emphasized. Again, why do we need these international collaborators? We need to make it America first. That means American made, which all these fields that could get us out there, we have the ability to still do, which is trying to be infiltrated, and it has been, and the attack is on to steal all of that from us. You'll never get it back. Wake up. But basically, the way we're interpreting the collective set of recommendations is full steam ahead. Thomas Zerbuck, and NASA's Associate Administrator for Science, said during the news conference, the last thing that we want to do is kind of turn a switch right now without really investigating this and looking at all options. While well, the race is on, get on it! But the board also suggested that given the potential delay and other factors, the safer bet would be to budget between $3.8 billion and $4.4 billion, perhaps 30% higher than the number NASA is currently using. NASA created the Independent Review Board in August to evaluate early plans for the larger suite of Mars sample return missions and identify potential problems as early as possible. As envisioned, the Mars sample return program is a vast endeavor shared by two large space agencies that will require several separate spacecraft operating over more than a decade, not to mention the first rocket launch from the Red Planet's surface and a host of measures to prevent sample contamination. So you get what? But not bringing it to cislunar orbit. Either way, it's all on eternal next nail pay speed policy agenda. All right? You can't get around that, and that should be openly seen by all who reads between the lines. But the report focuses on the future spaceflight aspects of the mission, how Perseverance forever and its staff will interact with future missions, what those spacecraft will look like, and the complicated process of getting the precious cargo safely off the surface of Mars and into laboratories on Earth. Again, bypass all potential barriers to get that safety and ultra safety by the time it gets to the surface instead of jettisoning it directly into the surface without even knowing really what to expect, huh? Seems pretty stupid and deliberate to me. But the mission will also require a new sample curation facility which the board did not evaluate. 
Of course not. Turtlenecks, tail pace speed, policy agenda. They're all lazy. They don't want to give in to the vision of President Trump and we the people in the USA leading the way. And here from this bridge to space, our nation will return to the moon and we will put American boots on the face of Mars. They want to internationally collaborate and cooperate, which we've been infiltrated by these traitors who would sell us out and benefit other nations who only been taking advantage of us. Who's our true allies? Again, who you bullshitting? Let's be real. But Moore's exploration is never easy. The Red Planet is notorious for its tricky launch calendar with favorable opportunities spaced 26 months apart, slow communications, and perilous landing conditions. All right, but it's not impossible. Stop trying to slow us down. But every mission to Mars has things that we're worried about, Jeffrey Gramling, NASA's Mars Sample Return Program Director, said during the news conference. NASA and ESA also hope to launch the mission while the Mars 2020 rover Perseverance Forever, currently on its way to the Red Planet, is still operational. The rover will land on Mars February 18th and work on the Red Planet's surface for at least one Martian year, which is 687 Earth days, although many of NASA's robotic explorers have remained active far longer than the duration of their primary mission. And it's not like NASA has a ton of free time on its hands. Huh, really. The agent's two key spacecraft manufacturing centers have their hands full with other ambitious projects like the James Webb and Roman Space Telescopes and the Europa and the Europa Clipper mission. And I say we need to expand these various space exploration agencies into one centralized effort of we the people, which will add many more jobs and get many more things done on a pace now that needs to go beyond turtlenecks, snail pace, policy, speed, agenda. As listeners to this show appreciate one, hopefully new ones will come to understand. If not, I don't know what to tell you. But we're going to make our fate and usher in the Martian revelation. So the review board recommends a host of measures to ensure that NASA shares the work between its centers carefully and can build on previous experience. The only reason we did it is to enhance our opportunities to be successful by opening our eyes wide, Sir Buckin said, of the independent review process. I want us to really challenge ourselves for missions, but we want to do so every time by keeping our eyes open and learning from every opportunity we have. To what? To internationally collaborate? It's kind of like an admission of guilt there. The only reason we did it is to enhance our opportunities. Yes, whose opportunities really at heart? The international collaborators, or are we the people in America first? Which people? Mr. Zerbuckin. But many of the report's recommendations are deeply bureaucratic, like considering how work is shared between different NASA centers, all of which are working on plenty of other projects and arranging ways to house NASA and ESA staff at each other's facilities. Yes, that's interesting. How, like, considering how work is shared between different NASA centers. Of who? The international collaborators. Therefore, benefiting who and getting back to who's also the main player in this race that is trying to be propped up and the aid and the means of the demise of this nation. China. 
But the board also recommended management changes to the Mars 2020 mission. One would incorporate the rover's oversight into a broader Mars sample return program now rather than waiting until future missions are underway. Another would see activities related to sample return prioritized above Perseverance's forever's other possible work. Remember, a network is not to detect actual life. Okay? Again, you must all wonder and question about this as it leads to the main motive of what is going on. But another issue that arose in a report where questions about whether NASA and ESA have fully explored all their options for the most successful designer-specific pieces of the mission. The sample-fetching rover, for instance, built on the European-Russian ExoMars rover scheduled to launch in 2022, the Rosalind Franklin, but may benefit from additional mobility improvements, for example. Currently, all planned surface missions are designed to be solar-powered, but adding nuclear power may make the mission less vulnerable. I would agree to that as well, but again... All this international collaboration and cooperation. Turtle next sale pay speed policy agenda. You getting it? And the report notes that in addition to the staggering complexity of the Mars sample return endeavor, it's not open to much of what NASA jargon dubs descoping. Essentially corners that could be cut along the way should a mission be facing budget or schedule shortfalls. Again. Leaving this, our hopes and dreams and ingenuity into the hands of international collaborators who are only in on a plan to destroy us. Wake up! But one of the few measures that agencies could use if the endeavor finds itself backed into a corner would be to delay the launch of one or more of the later mission spacecraft, which NASA and ESA are attentively targeting for 2026. See? How things get pushed like they're trying to make progress and it only goes to stalling. Pushing back, pushing back while the race is on. Uh Uh-huh. Who you bullshit? Not me. But the next launch opportunity toward Mars comes in 2028, but any later and and things get tricky. If surface missions slip into the 2030s, major components of the project will need to be overhauled. Independent Review Board member Peter Theisinger of NASA JPL in California said during the news conference, the conditions when you arrive at Mars change dramatically over the Martian year, Theisinger said. Launch opportunities after 2028 don't arrive at a very attractive season. But despite all the complications, bringing Martian rocks to Earth is worth it. Is it? So is us going there. You want to set something off, a rocket from Mars, send it to orbit, do it in time when Elon Musk and his big effing rockets get there and we can capture it and test it aboard ourselves or on the surface. That would be worth it. But despite all the complications, bringing Martian rocks to Earth is worth it, the board is confident. The science would be very exciting, Maria Zuber, a member of the review board and a planetary scientist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, said also at the news conference. We've done a lot of analysis in situ with Mars rocks on the surface of Mars, and clearly those have been very valuable, she said. But what you could do with a rock bringing it back... And working it in a terrestrial lab, meaning on Earth, the samples will produce a timeline, essentially, of the history of what was going on in this crater. Again, that you, you can't do the same shit in cislunar orbit or low Earth orbit? But yet you guys bitch about us sending a microbe or that could affect an amoeba or godforsaken something to which you're not even doing any tests that actually detect life on anyway. It seems absurd. 
But why did I want to read that? All right, you guys need to know what's going on and the wool being pulled over our eyes by still following a policy of international collaboration where America first is not being adhered to this. I'm sorry, but that's the reality. America first. You don't like it? Tough shit. My right to it because it's true and it's right and we're in a fight. Especially when considering, written two days ago, China rolls out Long March 5 rocket for Chang'e 5 moon sample return mission launch. Yes, though it's still the moon, another sample return. They're forging right ahead. And guess where they got the majority of this technologies and abilities to be able to do this so that they could take the lead. And that's essential threat to this nation that we must secure and protect, not only for this nation, but overall the homeland, which President Trump said one day will become more meaningful than just this nation. But China's most ambitious moon mission to date is on the pad ahead of its planned launch next week. A heavy lift Long March 5 rocket topped with the robotic Chang'e 5 lunar sample return spacecraft rolled out to the pad at Wenchang Space Launch Center in Hanging Province on Tuesday, November 17th. Chang'e 5 is scheduled to lift off on November 24th according to a NASA description of the mission. Official Chinese sources have said only that the launch will occur in late November. The 18,100-pound spacecraft, which apparently consists of four modules, will then make its way to the moon. Two of the Chang'e 5 modules will remain in lunar orbit. The other two, a sample collector and an ascent vehicle, will touch down in the Mons Rumker area of the huge Oceanus Procellarum, the Ocean of Storms. Why can't they just say that? Instead of this Latin crap, a vast volcanic plain that has been explored by a number of other moon missions, including NASA's Apollo 12 in 1969. If all goes according to plan, Chang'e 5 sample collector will use a robotic arm and a drill to snag about 4.4 pounds of moon dirt and rock, including material that will be sourced from up to 6.5 feet underground. Boy, sounds familiar. Yep. Turtlenecks hail pay speed and policy agenda like the mole on the Mars Insight lander. You can't get a better term than turtlenecks hail pay speed policy agenda. Look, they're sending something to the moon on a much shorter time scale, going up to a depth of feet. Granted, halfway up to what you guys were expecting with the mole. Don't bet on it. And they're going to succeed. There's a lot of copycat and first going on. We're in a race, and they're going to build up their prestige. Remember, we've already been sold out. They're on a planned policy that has to be changed to make it America first. Not international collaborators or any one world order, or especially the commie ch Chinese. But the ascent vehicle will then loft this cache to lunar orbit where it will dock with one of the orbiting modules and then be integrated into the other, which will hold the stuff back to Earth. Again, back to Earth! Just send the shit back to Earth! No problem, according to the NASA description. The moon samples are scheduled to land in China in mid-December. Isn't that interesting? The touchdown will be historic. Humanity hasn't returned any material from the moon since the Soviet Union's robotic Luna 24 mission did so in 1976. Comet and asteroid samples have come down to Earth since then, however, and yet more collected space rock material will be delivered in the near future by Japan's Hayabusa 2 and NASA's OSIRIS-REx missions. 
Chang'e 5 is the sixth mission in China's Chang'e program of robotic lunar exploration, which takes its name from a moon goddess in Chinese mythology. The Chang'e 1 and Chang'e 2 orbiters launched in 2007 and 2010. And 2010 and Chang'e 3 made the nation's first soft moon landing in December 2013, putting a lander rover duo down on the lunar near side. The Chang'e 5T1 mission, which launched in October 2014, sent a prototype return capsule on an 80-day trip around the moon to help prepare for the upcoming Chang'e 5 mission. Boy, they're really forging ahead. Where are we? Huh, Artemis? Who you bullshitting? But Chang'e 4 pulled off the first ever soft landing on the moon's mysterious side, delivering a lander and rover to this largely unexplored region in January of 2019. Chang'e 4 is still going strong, as is the Chang'e 3 lander. The Chang'e 3 rover died after 31 months of operation. Hmm, that's interesting. What did it go black? Remember, you know who's rolling these missions around up there. I don't trust a word coming out of their mouths. So a sample return mission coming back from the moon, which we have not done in such a long time. They're on the ball. And where do you think their next one's going to go? And do you think that it will not succeed? And this should be also another interesting tidbit for you all to know how quick and on the ball they are in this race. As China launches antenna array for Mars moon missions. China has launched its first array of giant radio antennas to support missions to Mars and the moon sources with the Xiang Satellite Control Center said on Wednesday. After nearly two years of construction, the Deep Space Antenna Array System was built at the Control Center's Kakshar Station in northwestern Jingjing, Uyghur Autonomous Region. It consists of four 35-meter diameter antennas, three of which are newly built. Its data reception capability is equivalent to that of an antenna with a diameter of 66 meters. According to the center staff, the system was developed to enhance the ground station's monitoring range and data receiving sensitivity for the country's deep space exploration projects. Wake up! But it has been un but it has been used to track the Mars probe Tingwing One and the lunar probe Tingyi Four. Because each antenna can work independently, the system can track and control single and multiple spacecraft over hundreds of millions of kilometers at the same time, said Lee Siu, head of the Kagshar station. Lee noted that the system could also work with other observatory stations at home and abroad to carry out joint radio astronomy observation activities. China plans to launch a Long March 5 Y5 rocket carrying the Chang'e 5 lunar probe late this month. The center is preparing to conduct monitoring for that mission that we just read about as well. And this brings up a very good uh, point in an article that I picked up on November 17th at Axios, the U.S.-China split in space. Because this is kind of important for all you Nazis, those who not see what's really going on here, the non-publishing of the fact of the severe space race we are now in. We've all been sold out. And the great reset around the world is also trying to establish control and dominance in space to make all these plants secure, which means the demise of this nation as well as all of we, the people of the free world, are on this planet. That's the reality. But America first is something that I agree with, and it must be to help the rest of the world on our infrastructure. And here from this bridge to space, our nation will return 
to the moon and we will put American boots on the face of Mars. So let's get into this. Now this brings us to no surprise, and many already know and understand that China and the U.S. do not collaborate on space. A decades-old divide that is shaping the future of both nations' space programs. U.S. semiconductor companies and those in other sectors are under pressure from politicians and consumers to become less reliant on China. The record of the nation's parallel ambitions in space shows what the U.S. gains and loses when it cuts China off. China has a flourishing space program with big ambitions. The nation is expected to build a space station in orbit in the coming years and eventually plans to send people to the moon. Those plans run in parallel to U.S. ambitions to send people back to the lunar surface as the International Space Station program comes to an end. But both nations also have strong military presences in orbit. China's tests of its anti-satellite weaponry worry many U.S. space watchers that the nation doesn't adhere to widely accepted norms in orbit. The U.S. relies on spy satellites and other assets in space to fight wars. Unlike arrangements with other U.S. allies and adversaries that have so far held peace between powers in space, NASA and China are prevented from cooperating in space without congressional approval under the Wolf Amendment, first passed in 2011. This separation in space means that the U.S. and China sometimes pursue different technologies and goals and build separate international collaborations. Is that word again? But broad export controls cause the U.S. space industry access to the growing Chinese market. Still, the U.S. space program as a whole is stronger and is likely to remain so. Matthew Daniels of Georgetown University writes in a new report from Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. But the U.S.-China separation in space may have long-term costs that exceed their benefits to America, the report says. The lack of cooperation means the U.S. may not get timely access to scientific data from China's ambitious missions to the moon and Mars. And it makes it difficult for the U.S. to understand and therefore compete with the Chinese space program, Daniels writes, while it risks ceding international leadership opportunities for the U.S. in space and reducing opportunities to de-escalate conflict in space. No, we don't need to reduce our opportunities. Because that is what will, if we increase our opportunities, that will help de-escalate the conflicts in space. If the U.S. is focused on international leadership and managing risk in space, some narrow relaxation of policies may be needed, he writes. Bullshit. But the U.S. effectively cut China off in part as a way to limit China's advancements in space, but that largely hasn't worked. No, because remember, they've already stolen a lot of tech from us and getting a lot of secrets that has been sold to them, taken away from we the people. The hope was that if we wall off our technologies from China, they'll never get it. Brian Whedon of the Secure World Foundation told Axios, Well, you're wrong, because the Bidens, the Clintons, and other commie crap traders have already been selling our space technology in secrets. Who you bullshitting? But of course, they just did it themselves. So we lost the China that would be reliant on other countries' technologies and instead, they have this burgeoning indigenous industrial base that is rapidly advancing. Yes, but it's not clear that China would want to collaborate on big missions in space with the U.S. if that option was on the table. 
China's space program largely developed during a time when the nation was effectively isolated from the U.S. and the Soviet Union. The great superpowers of the time, making the nation's space industry largely independent from the beginning, according to the Heritage Foundation's Dean Cheng. There are concerns about whether Beijing would be transparent if the two nations did collaborate and how to navigate a sector where civil and military lines blur. The ability to learn about their intentions, plans, and directions to engagement really only works if they're willing to share information from their side, Daniels told Axios. I don't know if we have a clear indication of that. No, we don't. But we do have a clear indication of what their big goal picture is, and it's not one of collaboration with the United States. It is one to get the dominance of space and to help destroy the United States. But the big picture, AI, biotech, and other sectors in the U.S. and China are more deeply entwined today than the space industry, making it more difficult to divorce from one another. Hey, that ain't our fault. But like a couple quarreling in a shared house, or more dramatically, with all the drama, like co-joined twins whose circulatory systems cannot be separated, China and the United States can find means of securing greater independence, but they cannot be decoupled, Richard Danzig and Lorraine Lasquet wrote in an accompanying paper. And I say bullshit. Stop trying to secure the bonds between China and the U.S. We are not going to submit, and we are not going to become a communist nation. So while that tiptoe through the tulips may indicate, oh, cooperation, we should bend the knee, we should make things better with China, let them continue to do what they've done and are doing and continuing to do to help destroy the U.S. And is it there by this last article, any surprise? From November 18th also, why progressive groups call for the elimination of the Space Force. Progressive groups call for the elimination of the Space Force. What, the commie crafts? The Marxists? The trans-testicles? The commie Americans? According to a memo first obtained by Politico... Progressive groups are planning to pressure President-elect Joe Biden's transition team into slashing military budgets, with one specific aim being to eliminate the U.S. Space Force. Of course, is exactly what the commie Chinese want. And here's another problem. To pressure President-elect Joe Biden's transition team? How? He's not the president-elect. He has not been elected. They're claiming that victory, and it's not up to the media or them and their administration team to transition to anything that they have not been deemed yet elected. It's them that are trying to pressure them to continue to give China the needs to screw us all over. The memo calls out to the Space Force as an unnecessary bureaucracy that costs $16 billion in 2021 and militarizes space, as quoted by Space News, which obtained the memo as well. No shit, Sherlock, but unnecessary? It's very necessary. We just went over how China has already have space weaponry and they're continuing to develop. And, and how the U.S. is worried about their capabilities, yes, there is very necessary need. So again, this is going down the commie craft toilet for we the people in our space program. They want it eliminated to make it easier for the commie Chinese to successfully and fully militarize space, gaining the high ground to dominate and to control the earth, and 
to go against any force that would help continue the United States of America and future as a nation of America first. It's an existential threat to us. Unnecessary bureaucracy. Bullshit. The $16 billion referred to by the memo technically came out of the budget of the Air Force and was requested for the 2021 fiscal year back in February. It's also dwarfed by the Pentagon's overall $740 billion budget. The Space Force is the youngest arm of the military established in December of 2019 when President Donald Trump signed the U.S. Space Force Act. Congress made the decision permanent with the 2020 National Defense Authorization Act. The service's main mandates are rather murky. It's focused on protecting U.S. interests in space, including the overseeing and development of satellites and deterring aggression in space. And I'll say mainly by the commie Chinese, as well as Russia and Iran and other potential threats. But President Trump has done little to pin down the group's mandate, often falling back on verbiage about being number one in space. Amid grave threats to our national security, American superiority in space is absolutely vital, he said during the official launch in December 2019. And we're leading, but we're not leading by enough. But very shortly, we'll be leading by a lot. And he's right, as long as continued being able to do so. But the service has already faced a good deal of criticism over its short history. Early on, it was deemed a bureaucratic mess in search of a problem by the media and characterized as a reshuffling of existing personnel more than anything concrete. Yeah, anything dubious and negative to say about this. They don't like the new Space Force because it puts up a threat against their allies, the commie Chinese, are trying to do to us. But the Space Force still has plenty of ties to the U.S. Air Force and has been slow to recruit personnel. Approximately 16,000 military and civilian space staff were assigned upon its creation in 2019. And in June, more than 8,500 active duty Air Force service members volunteered to join the service. But eliminating the Space Force would be no easy task. In fact, Biden would not technically have the power to do so alone, as Space News points out. Surely the Biden administration will have more pressing legislative priorities than this in the context of the Chinese Kung Flu virus, the economy and domestic priorities, a junk senior fellow at the Center for the New American Security, Sarah Miniero, who helped draft legislation of the Space Force and Space Command, told Space News. So our new military branch of Space Force is already under threat. Remember, President Trump also said, while Vice President Mike Pence have also stated on more than one occasion and helping prep up the Space Force, is that it's not to only protect us from the obvious threats here on Earth and then to protect our lower Earth orbit, but from the threats coming from deep space. No one's wanting to focus on that and then on what that is. But yet, we're getting... Uh, Pentagonal confirmations that UFOs or otherwise known as UAPs, unidentified aerial phenomena, is now deemed as valid and acknowledged by the U.S. government. And no one wants to put the pieces of that picture together. And there are the forces here on Earth that do not want us to know or see about what that big puzzle picture looks like. And who better to speak about that than our guest tonight, Dr. Bruce Cornett. Well, I think that's enough news, so I would like you all to please go to www.thefacesofmars.com. That's 
facesofmars.com. And please scroll on down the page to see the information about tonight's guest, as well as the link to his website, as well as his video for Cydonia 2 report. And under that, you can click on my buddy Larry Bowen's creamy garlic mushrooms recipe for people packing and smoking them on this show. Another great recipe for these bizarre nights of the Martian Revelation. So you can continue to scroll on down the page, check out that new face of Mars I had found called the face of Acidalia. Actually, it's really in Cydonia, but border Acidalia. And under that, check out another cool-looking face of Mars I found. And under that one, check out this cool mound, a pyramidal-type mound with a tetrahedral on top. It's pretty wild-looking. That is not natural. And, of course, under that, check out Dr. Mark Carlotto's latest Before Atlantis article, Revising History Again, Evidence of an Even Older Civilization in India. And be sure to click on the link to check out his book, Before Atlantis. And, of course, there's other things there to do on the page. Don't forget to check out UFO Diaries and those faces of Mars I'm looking for. And also be sure to check out Rami Barilan's cool exclusive Mars images. Click on that link to go to exclusive Mars images to see his and other people's pretty cool and bizarre finds that are being seen on the surface that implicate so many things. Well, aside from that, I say we should all go to a break now. So as all you listeners to this show know, we have a motto here, pack them and smoke them, because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. Imagine that everything the U.S. government has told you about UFOs since Roswell has been a lie. Imagine that in the decade after Roswell, the government attempted communication with the aliens and succeeded. And after that, in absolute secrecy, things had gone far, far beyond this. Now imagine that tomorrow, the whole secret program is going to fall apart, and every terrible thing is going to come out. All we have left now is a prayer. Morning Star Pass. The collapse of the UFO cover-up. A fictional but unflinching and terrifying look inside the UFO cover-up. The secret government that supports it and the world of the aliens themselves. And then, how the whole secret kingdom ends. Morningstar Pass, a book that pulls no punches and does not sheath the sword unblooded. Morningstar Pass, plunging boldly where no other book has ventured, captures the whole wondrous nightmare that the UFO experience has become. From bizarre experiments performed on helpless abductees to horrifying mutilations to beyond to the world of secret government supported by its own secret police to the aliens in their secret bases and finally to the beckoning stars themselves the book does this by placing the cover-up humanity and the earth in a real cosmos where humanity and its passions are a part of the universe not an aberration on it then comes the fall of the cover-up and a climax of violence and desperation to leave the human race facing the multi-hued stars with eyes open and seeking its place in them. The sands of time have run out for the cover-up, for against it, leading an army of investigators and warriors, comes Cassandra Chen, beautiful, driven, and doomed. Who can save her and us? <laughs> You'll have to read it to find out. Morning Star Pass, the collapse of the UFO cover-up by Victor Norgard. Get yours today. You can find this at www.firstbooks.com.
Acceleration of fear, the UAPs. Now that you all packed them and spoke them, welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legere, the Marsh Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian. And of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation that's upon you all again now. So let's introduce our guest, Dr. Bruce Cornett. Bruce Corn- Dr. Bruce Cornett received a bachelor's associate's degree in 1970 in biology from the University of Connecticut, a master's degree in 1972 in paleobotany from the same university, and graduated from Penn State in 1977 with a Ph.D. in geology and, pa- and palynology and palynology, the study of fossil spores and pollen used to age date used to age date rocks. That's interesting. But he spent 11 years in the oil industry working for Gulf Research and Development, Exxon USA, Mobile Mobile Oil Corporation, and Superior Oil Company, all in Houston, Texas. Between 1981 and 1982, he ran his own independent exploration company, Geminoil, Inc., which drilled for and found oil in eastern Virginia. Between 1980... Between, I guess there was oil in Demdar Hills, but between 1988 and 1993, he held a research position at Lamont at Lamont Doherty Earth Observatory, part of Columbia University, and was the well site geologist for the Institute's Newark Basin Coring Project in New Jersey, for which he described and photographed 28,000 feet of late Triassic to early Triassic cores. That sounds interesting. I wonder what was found, if anything. He has profiled on ResearchGate and has published 48 scientific articles and research papers, three books, and numerous abstracts on subjects in paleobotany, palynology, and geology. He taught classroom geology and botany and online geology for Rarshin, for Raritan, for Raritan Valley Community College in New Jersey, El Paso Community College in Texas, and Dona Ana Community College in New Mexico, 
between 2002 and 2008. In 1992, he discovered that he lived next to the Pine Bush UFO hotspot in New York State and began the three years, 24 square mile magnetic survey, discovering many anomalies underground and documenting over 140 close encounters with unconventional aircraft or UFOs, or a new term today, UAPs. But he has written one book on his research into the Pine Bush phenomena, unconventional aerial phenomena in the, Hub, in the Hudson and Walkill River and Walkill River Valley of New York in 2019. In 2003, he was hired as Deputy Administrator at the National Institute for Discovery Science, NIDS, in Las Vegas for four months before NIDS was shut down. He is now retired and living in El Paso, Texas. And, uh, and it's an honor to have you on, sir, and thank you very much for joining us. Welcome. Thank you for having me, John, uh, Jerry. Uh, no problem. No problem, sir. I got to ask you, though, those cores that you were talking about there in the bio, did you ever pull up yes. anything interesting in them that would suggest better keep digging there? No, nothing uh, in terms of, um, of uh, monetary value. Uh, what we were doing was attempting to uh, document all of the uh, thousands of lake cycles in the Newark uh, Basin. And we had to drill that 28,000 feet to encounter all of the strata, the 28,000 feet of strata that were in the basin that covered about 28 million years of geologic time. And what uh, we were able to do uh, mostly through the work of uh, Dr. Paul Olson and Dennis Kent at Lamont Doherty uh, Earth Observatory, was uh, document multiple cycles, climatic cycles, that occurred during that period of time, from 21,000 years to 104,000 years to 240 um, to 800,000 years, etc. Uh, these overlapping um, Milankovitch cycles are continuing to occur today, and we were able to use those um, cycles to be able to age date the cores down to the nearest 10,000 years, which is extraordinary. And uh, what it basically showed us is that uh, the um, Earth had uh, a, a, a climatic type cycles just as it does today. And uh, we're able to correlate that with other similar uh, rock sequences around the world of Triassic and Jurassic age. So you're saying, if I just, uh, all right, I think you're on the phone, uh, so that kind of is the difference in sound. But what I got out of that, did you say that there were the samples that match of what we are today? And how many matches may have there been, or have you noticed the shifts in the cores of the various temperatures or even catastrophic changes that applied? Hopefully that well, makes sense. Well, during the... Right. Uh, right now I'm talking through my uh, laptop uh, microphone. If you want me to switch to my cell phone, I can do that. Oh, do you have a headset though, or is it just the laptop, the microphone on the laptop itself? Let me try my headset and see if it uh, get this to. Uh, okay, sir. Uh, 
I don't mean to be bitching. It's just that, you know, I want the experience to be best for you as well as the listeners so that you're uh, heard clear and understood. So, but that sounds interesting. So while you're doing that, can you think of that question I asked? uh, So if we're matching some of these core samples throughout his periodic history, I guess that would show in the core do you also notice any other different climatic changes or even, uh, uh, you know, disasters that may have took place within layers of these cores? And can you tell and and can you tell the age of them? Yes. Uh, oh, much better. Radi- <laughs> radiometric ages. Hi, you can hear me better now. Oh, much better. Yes. Excellent. Um, essentially, uh, this the the core sequence. Uh, spanned the Triassic-Jurassic boundary, uh, which records one of the uh, eight major mass extinctions on Earth where as much as 80 to 90 percent of all plants and animals were wiped out in, in a less than maybe uh, 100,000 years. And uh, you could actually see that in the palynology, uh, which records the kinds of plants that uh, lived at that time and how uh, that was part of my uh, Ph.D. thesis. And we saw that we went from a very diverse flora at the very end of the Triassic to a monotypic flora dominated by just a few types of conifers and uh, ferns. <coughs> Excuse me. Most of the, um, uh, of the plants that survived in different parts of the world eventually uh, recovered and came back, but it took between 10 and 15 million years for that recovery to occur. Uh, also, most of the Triassic types of reptiles became extinct, and right. the dinosaurs uh, had an opening to become dominant. So you could uh, say that the, this was the time when the age of dinosaurs began. Now, the climatic cycles, uh, based on precession uh, uh, cycles, as I indicated before, like 21,000 years, uh, 104,000 years, uh, all the way up to 800,000 years and even 2.3 million years cycles. Uh, similar cycles occur today. They're called Milenkovitch cycles. And um, uh, But today, something radical has changed in the last ice age mm-hmm. uh, because the, uh, the cycles in the Triassic and Jurassic are nested within each other. In other words, 5 times 21,000 years gives you the next... Uh, uh, pre- eccentricity cycle hmm. of 105,000 years. Four times that gives you the next eccentricity cycle, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. But today, we have the, the smallest cycle alternating with the next biggest cycle. So they, the, the, the bigger cycle of 800,000 um, years, or let's see, yeah, 108,000 years is uh, the duration of the, of the ice age. And the 21,000 years is the duration of the interglacial. Now, so you can right tell, now, I'm sorry, sir, but now, while, while I'm trying to understand this, and for the listeners, especially me, I didn't go that far in school for all that, but now you say ice ages. Now, can that be attributed by what is found in the core? Yes, there's definitely an ice age or ice or the material compared to things in the past. Where would it be different well, we, shades we, of color or we, material that you detect? 
We didn't have any ice ages during the Triassic and Jurassic. Okay, no ice. In fact, very little uh, ice caps at so all. The, so the patterns um, would be different in the core. Is that makes does that true? right today? Right, and but today we have these uh, cycles alternating, right. uh, and, and and so that the pattern is very different today than it was uh, uh, two hundred million years ago when these cores uh, were deposited. These sediments were deposited. Wow. So does it look like the Earth is more fluctuating toward that pattern from which it was not in the past? And is that a good or a bad thing? Well, uh, back during the Permian, uh, all of the continents were joined together to form a, a supercontinent called Pangaea in the southern hemisphere, mm -hmm. while the northern hemisphere was mostly open ocean, maybe with some island arcs, etc., and then in between uh, the, the uh, Permian, when you had that, uh, a major ice age at that time at the southern hemisphere, the, the continent Pangaea broke apart and the continents began to drift northward. How, how do we know this? Because of, of uh, magnetic inclination of the various rocks that occur there showing where the poles were. And the continents migrated into the northern hemisphere and they're starting to come together in the northern hemisphere today. In other words, that's why geographers call the northern hemisphere the land, the land uh, world, while they call the southern hemisphere the water world, hmm. which is mostly ocean. And uh, that's why we are getting a, a, another ice age now at the, in the northern hemisphere. So this is going to continue on in another 10,000 years, we're right in the middle of the Holocene interglacial, and another 10,000 years, another ice age will begin. And uh, this will go on for a, over 100,000 years uh, with, with ice caps growing. I wonder and, if these layers in the cores that you guys took, I wonder if that could show evidences of the magnetics polarities at the certain epoch in time. Would that also be locked in the stone for those time frames to, or or is that absolutely. just crazy absolutely. i'm crazy no, no, absolutely uh, dennis oh. kent uh, did the uh, paleomagnetism studied that in the course and was able to de determine the, uh, the how often the uh, the uh, earth's magnetic poles flipped uh in other words north pole became south pole and the south pole became north pole magnetically mm -hmm. and this happened many times during that 28 million years and that is in the that was found in the cores too, or can yes, be? yes. Wow. But all of that has been very well documented scientifically. Now, Many papers have been it, written on this. Does it match up to the ice ages or beyond that even? Oh, uh, well, the Permian ice age ended uh, about uh, two hundred and fifty million years ago, and uh, the uh, then you had a mass extinction at the same time, perhaps the largest mass extinction in the history of Earth, where 95% of all life forms were wiped out, and everything had to start over again. Um, wow. Interestingly enough, um, that representatives of most of the plants and animals that existed during the Permian did survive, so they ended up evolving and repopulating the, the, the planet. <clears throat> hmm. That that raises implications, and it makes me think, sir, not to keep jumping around or to jump off subject, but I think it's on subject, because you know this dilemma and and of of the uh, of the policy 
of which they want to bring material back from Mars to Earth without cislunar orbit, uh, cislunar orbit is the first phase, low Earth orbit is the second phase, then bring it to the Earth. They want to bring it back directly to the Earth. Now, just pieces, not any cores. Cores, I think, would be better examples to where... If we were to be able to get such a course, sir, like you got, like you discussed and you studied, would that be able to give us a better understanding of the actual geolo geologic or catastrophic past of Mars, well, whether natural or nuclear or any other well, type of scenario? Absolutely. Hmm. Um, that it, hopefully we'll eventually get to the point where we can <clears throat> drill cores on Mars and determine its uh, 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 history uh, over over hundreds of millions, if not billions of years. And, um, you know, there are a lot of questions, as you know, about what happened on Mars, what wiped out its, its uh, oceans and its uh, atmosphere. And there seems to be some indication of uh, some airburst nuclear, uh, massive nuclear uh, explosions right. based on, um, yeah. And that, uh, and that could have came to any, right, the Xenon-129. And that still could have come as any natural or unnatural causes upon the planet's history for when that time happened. See, that I mean, just like here on Earth, all these different epochs and times, it shows in the core. That's why it would be so interesting to figure out Mars, because in that core... We, I think we would be able to detect, well, all right, has any xenon or anything else been dropped, even in the previous epochs, or catastrophic zones that we could see in the cores that, well, far-fetched or not, I mean, I mean, these are, again, many questions just flow through my head, and I can imagine what you think, sir, when you know all, all about this crap. Right, exactly. Um, but were we going to talk about Mars? Or, or the uh, you know the the Earth's climatic history, or we're going to talk about everything, uh, wherever everything. We, where, okay. Wherever we go, sir. Uh, because it's all related, it's all connected, and it's all good. And uh, for myself to learn more about you and who you are, and your passionate and your knowledge over the years, uh, everything could be included. And this is for the, just the learning benefits i'm learning myself and that, that's why i have people like you on so i'm sure you can go on for hours <laughs> and all so many different things but uh, to tie it all up the things that we're facing here on earth uh to know about ourselves because to tell the age of stone can any of this and does it help like on the ancient megalithic megalithic structures here on earth i know you're familiar with dr mark carlotto and uh, his work uh, here um, in terms of be uh, before Atlantis and uh, adding continuing addendums on his website, beforeatlantis.com, show, he shows and talks about the placements of many of these structures on various uh, north-south uh, polar lines, magnetic poles, whatnot, previous uh, north polar points, and... So I think it, all this is related. So I think that's what I'm trying to show you as an analogy, sir, how all of this relates, and especially to Mars as well, potentially. Because I think you've done some Correct. work there that shows some uh, implicating features of 
what we see on Mars potentially seen here on Earth. But uh, I apologize. <laughs> well, there is more um, connection between what has happened on Mars and happened on Earth than we uh, ag- many uh, would think, because we've already found um, <clears throat> meteors, meteorites that have come from Mars where um, um, larger meteorites struck Mars and blasted off uh, some of the pieces of the Mars uh, uh, surface and sent them out into space. Mm -hmm. And eventually they wound up here on Earth. And uh, that's where they found that that rock in Antarctica that contains evidence of microbial life on Mars. And uh, so there's this connection that we've had for a very long time. Hmm. Now that, again, now was that rock able for that, what was the term of the the work that you do that deals with the dating of rocks? What was that, again? Radiometrics is using uh, isotopes, radioactive isotopes of, of, you know, uranium and thorium and potassium and things like that to age date through the half-life and how much of those uh, minerals are still remaining in the rock and how much of their uh, decay products are there. So, so you, you could de- those... Uh-huh. Th- Sorry, sir. So you could, de- so you could uh, detect the age, basic age of that material to say, hey, this is for sure such and such millions year- years old. Well, usually the half-life is so crude that, I mean, you're lucky to get within maybe one to two million years of the actual age of of rocks on Earth, uh, igneous rocks mostly, and that's what we uh, we were age dating some of the rocks on on in the cores here in New Jersey, uh, based on radiometric dates of the basalt flows that occurred at the Triassic Jurassic boundary, and then they found igneous intrusions at in the, some of the oldest uh, rocks in the basin, and those were dated to give us a full width or period during which those sediments were deposited of mm-hmm. about 28 to 30 million years. And um, the, the radiometric dates, though, are crude compared to the climatic cycles where we could get a resolution of uh, date down to about half of a, uh, of a precession cycle, or, which was about 20,000 years. So we could get it to the closest 10,000 years uh, in actual uh, age, and now that is something that has never been done before. Um, you get uh, an, an age date of Earth rocks to be that precise. Of Earth rocks, okay. Therefore, going back to the question, can we actually age, determine the ages of these ancient megalithic structures around the world? Again, like Dr. Mark Carlotto points out in his book. Uh, does, can we age the? Can we age these rocks? No, 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 no. You can't. Hmm. Not based on uh, radiometric materials. I mean, the age of the stones that are used in those uh, structures, those megalithic structures, you could determine their age, but that's not the age when the uh, structures, the stones were cut and moved and to, and uh, used to build those ancient uh, monuments. No. Uh, we cannot use that. And uh, unfortunately, that uh, carbon dating only goes back accurately to about uh, 70,000 years, not much more than that. And because 
radioactive carbon-14 is unreliable uh, before in, in any any older and you just can't get any good data for from carbon in in the rocks if they are older than about 70,000 years um, so we don't have very much to go on for the age of many of these megalithic structures that uh, uh, Mark Carlotto was working with around the world um, there just isn't any uh, uh, organic material or uh, material that was deposited at the time those uh, stones were cut and, and uh, assembled. Ah, so like that's that leaf, problem. like the leaf that was found under the man-made uh, so-called bricks, uh, geopolymer bricks at the Bosnian Pyramid, and then, wow, that pushed it back to, what was it, 20,000 years or something like that? Uh, of course, that leaf, which is carbon-based, they could use that. Right. Now, would you recommend or that NASA, I'm going to focus on us, it should be America first, should also apply in these multi-million dollar tests that are not to detect life, but possible signs of ancient past life, should they have a carbon uh, time detector on that as well? Uh, <clears throat> well, no. Uh, quite simply, because carbon-14 is based on life forms. It, it is uh, life plant forms that take the carbon out, carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere uh -huh. that has been irradiated. And uh, so you, you get a, the isotope, the carbon-14 isotope, being incorporated within the organic material of that life form. And we haven't yet established organic life form material on T Mars. Tell that to Dr. So, Gil Levin. <laughs> but... But, it, but anyway, wouldn't that be a good test since they're not actually meant to look for life or to detect it, but as possible signs, wouldn't something like this? Well, let's send that. If it doesn't pick up anything, it just furthers our models that there is no life, blah, blah, blah. Wouldn't no, that, no. but if it does, oh, okay. No, I, I think there, there, there's too little we know yet about Mars to be uh, able to draw those types of conclusions. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we have to send more probes and humans to Mars to be able to uh, search for uh, traces of life that are below the surface. Right, which is the key figure here on this turtlenecks to help pay speed policy agenda of theirs. You know, it's ridiculous. We should be sending, like you said, multiple missions, multiple tasks, and and then humanity itself to go there and then determine to do the carbon-14 test. And once we determine, either robotically or when we get there, that it should be used at that point. Is that what you're saying? Oh, we have to find life forms that grew there and, and, and existed there on Mars before we can use any carbon-14. What about, like, the meteorite, like you said, that had the old fossils? It wouldn't have it because it's not... It's too old, or there's nothing there. No, there's just no, or not enough organic material. It's too, and it's too old. Yeah, much too old. Hmm. It's billions of years old. Still and interesting to ponder. You know, it's forgive my ignorance. On, carbon fourteen only lasts, as I said, the seventy to hundred thousand years at most. And when you're dealing with something that's over a million years, you can forget carbon fourteen, or any uh, other kind of uh, radiometric uh, dating. Um, and except perhaps that xenon 129, 
Uh, if they were able to get enough samples of that, they could determine, um, you know, just when the, those nuclear explosions occurred. That's right. And that would uh, help solidify Dr. John Brandenburg's timeline of that. Again, give or take so many years is obvious because of the guessing work, but the thing is, it definitely happened because we wouldn't have that there. <laughs> that only comes from... Uh, intelligently designed weaponized detonations no natural nuclear catastrophes could produce that uh according to him and i guess he would know <laughs> but right and you probably agree to that too um so that is really interesting in the aspects now we know too little of it we know more verse than we do of that but it would be great i think to set us on the right path if we could get a decent core drill of Mars and send that back or at least the cislunar orbit or low Earth orbit and then down to the Earth to determine and try to match with Earth and see what a, what connections, maybe even time frame of certain things going on, the planetary scales that could be noticed within the cores, uh, in the cores themselves to compare them. Uh, is that a good idea too? Or, or uh, again, I'm ignorant of this. I'm just trying to use... Oh, you're, you're talking about something that here on Earth has taken hundreds of years and thousands of investigators and scientists of collecting uh, rock samples and fossils and to be able to put together a history of life on Earth. It has been an enormous uh, undertaking or of events. humanity. Right. Or and, events. Uh, uh -huh. But and, and it, to get any kind of comparable information from Mars would require a, probably a similar length of time, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, to explore that planet uh, completely right. and, d d and do all the drilling, etc. But we'd have to establish colonies on Mars, and uh, hopefully that there wasn't something living underground that would create a problem. The subsurface, us. yeah, we call them on this show the subsurface illegals. <laughs> You know, like mm -hmm. Dr. John Brandenburg said to me on this show, as Victor Norgard now is the uh, Jekyll Hyde thing going on, that the UFO bone is connected to the Mars bone. And that makes a lot of sense for me, especially by as an independent Mars researcher, image analyst, etc., etc., sees things there to which, well, that there's no reason why the, I could rule that out. You know what I mean? Uh, though... I come under flack by a lot of people, but not as much. It's looking far-fetched anymore compared to the past, especially regards to UFOs, UAPs, which you also have a lot of experience and knowledge and research in about as well. And that's why I'm fascinated because it wouldn't be that far-fetched at all to make those connections. Am I right there, sir, regards to these advanced craft or who or what, when, why? Well, presumably, if they have the capability of exploring space and they are visiting Earth or, or have been living on Earth, even on underground basis for thousands of years, um, that they would be able to go to Mars and have colonies on Mars. They would probably be underground simply because the surface is too hostile. Um, and uh, we, we have yet to, to dis uh, discover what is really going on there. 
Um, there are a lot of people interested in, in the uh, uh, Gigapan images that are being obtained through the various rovers mm -hmm. and uh, being able to look for things that we have never been allowed by NASA to look for, largely because of the, um, of the high resolution of the images that are coming back. And people are finding all sorts of strange things on the surface of Mars. Right. Uh, so uh, we we still have too many questions about what was going on. Um, one of the things that I discovered back in the 1990s, <clears throat> early 90s, mm -hmm. at the time I uh, became uh, connected with uh, Richard Hoagland and his Mars team mm -hmm. and uh, learned about the Sidonia complex on Mars, the face on Mars, this the, the crater, the tholus, the DNM pyramid, etc. And so I, and I was yeah, fascinated yeah. by uh, those uh, constructs, and uh, I was pretty convinced based on the data. And I think uh, John Brandenburg is also convinced that they are artificial. Yes. Um, so am I. <laughs> I'm very convinced. And, and I, um, uh, being a geologist. Uh, I wanted to know why the area around Pine Bush, I, which, which I lived near in Middletown, New York at the time, why it was such a hot spot for UAP. And it, uh, there were a lot of people going out and, and witnessing these craft. And uh, I, when I learned that this was happening through Dr. Ellen Crystal's book, Silent Invasion, I uh, was able to contact her and she invited me to come out into the field with her. And uh, I started seeing all of this stuff, and I wanted to document it. That's what got me started on a 24-square-mile magnetic survey because I had access to a, a, a proton precession magnetometer uh, at Lamont Doherty, and it took me three years to be able to accumulate uh, 1,800 stations. And I found amazing things that were going on underground, <clears throat> including um, um, uh, unnatural magnetic activity and I also discovered that there was this triangular array of, of beacons coming out of the ground uh, near uh, underneath uh, partly underneath a uh, Jewish cemetery between um, Walden and Pine Bush <clears throat> and uh, it wasn't until around 2007 that the History Channel became interested in what I had found that these uh, these signals were coming out of the ground, um, beams literally, uh, in, a, in a triangular formation, huh. and uh, they uh, were uh, turned on because I kept on taking measurements on a regular basis. I found out that they were were uh, beaming out into space when the constellation Booties was overhead, and um, so, and I've since found that some of the ETs that have come here to Earth have come from that that uh, uh, system in in the booties constellation. Well, those uh, booties, we got to love those booties. But uh, but what do yes. you what do you use to determine uh, those beams coming out? Because that's fascinating. Because even from the, the other proton, mag proton magnetometer, proton I did a twenty four square square mile magnetic survey, as mm -hmm. I said, of Earth's natural magnetic uh, field. And I found all these anomalies underground. This one particular set of anomalies was in a, uh, that, in a triangular formation that was 565 feet on a side. Wow. Huge. It was wow. a, bigger than a, a football stadium. 
And uh, and and then when the um, History Channel brought came in and wanted to do a study of it, they hired a um, a service company uh, to do, uh, do a ground penetrating radar, and we did a section across the corner of it and and uh, proved that it was there, only nine feet below the surface. Only and nine that, feet. Right. They and that based on my geology it was entombed in Ordovician black shale sitting on a granitic uh, island where it had landed for over 400 million years ago and this thing was still functioning and sending signals out in space because based on a, a Geiger counter it was radioactive it was still it was nuclear powered and it's right there in sending these beacons out into space and that was one of the uh, <clears throat> so you think it's a spacecraft you think it's a spacecraft and not like a buried pyramid or something? No, no, it's a spacecraft. There's no question about it. Because <laughs> there was nothing existing here on Earth 400 million years ago. We didn't even have a complex sea life at the time, just some of the most primitive sea life. And fishes were just beginning to evolve. And there were no land plants, no land animals or anything. So <clears throat> um, at that particular time... Um, uh, the only, I found other evidence of these signals coming out of the ground of other possible alien probes, and it became quite clear that they are mining uh, the the rare earth minerals that were in these granitic islands, these masses, and so there's even mines in northernmost New Jersey that are uh, a mine and the the um, that the Franklin mines that have um, uh, pulled out all sorts of amazing minerals. And, and ore deposits hmm. from the, the the granitic masses, so that was what they were searching for back then, undoubtedly, and they they just stayed there. They uh, and the sea when the uh, sea level rose or the islands sank, they became embedded and entombed in the ocean muds that covered them up, and they continued to subside uh, with more <clears throat> rock layers being deposited on top through sedimentation and eventually the process reversed and you had orogenic development of mountains <clears throat> that uplifted that area and uh, all of the overburdened <clears throat> rocks were uh, eroded away and now this one particular uh, uh, alien probe is just nine feet below the surface you can actually see it on the GPR uh, um, uh, signals or the the uh, the spectrograms and that's the, and that's like at a land site where you yourself were you said right were you actually well, at that is, where it's nine I, people out of ground when I do a twenty what I said I did a twenty four square mile survey I crossed crisscrossed that whole area backwards and forwards along roads across fields up river streams and uh, taking measurements and plotting them on a map that was uh, you know. Uh, 24 square miles so in size. It wasn't, like, it wasn't just like then, wow, 24 miles. You couldn't just dig nine feet down and come to the – or use LIDAR. What about LIDAR from above? Yep, were LIDAR, you in an LIDAR airplane or were you driving? LIDAR doesn't work that way. LIDAR doesn't work that way. Oh. Uh, this was ground-penetrating radar. Right. Penetrating is the key word. Right. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And it go, went down to 20 to 30 feet. And it, it picked up the top of this structure that is there 
a corner of the structure and prove that it exists. And I have all the data showing that it sent these beams of or signals out into space and uh, whenever the Booty's constellation was overhead. And because they were beacons, <clears throat> they were undoubtedly attracting somebody out there who was picking up on the beacons and following them back to Earth. That's so they what I say, too, about the pyramids and that people say, like, uh, uh, Dr. Samir Asmanagic, i got to get him on this show, and Dr. Carlotto back on as well, as well as many others who stated about energies coming out of, the, of these pyramids and into space. For all I know, they could help well, control the, the shielding of well, the Earth. Well, but Right. Well, the pyramids don't have anything to do with these alien probes. Okay. Well, right. They may have been built by uh, non-humans that have, had been here to Earth. And what I was trying to get, get at uh-huh. uh, was that uh, when I was uh, met up with Hoagland and I realized he had found in England that um, the, um, there were a lot of crop circles around the area where you have Abury Circle and Silbury <laughs> Hill. Right. And he connected those to... The, uh, the crater and the Tholus on Mars. <clears throat> and I thought, well, maybe there's something similar here on Earth. And I went, started looking because I started my mapping and I found a crater, uh, remnants of what appeared to be a crater, uh, just south of Pine Bush, New York, hmm. um, very near where this buried uh, alien probe exists. And <clears throat> um, when I, I, I asked Hoagland, I said, how wide is the crater on Mars? And he said, um, 2.3 miles. And, and um, I had already measured the one here on Earth, and it was 2.3 miles wide as well. Then I asked him, uh, how wide is, uh, or at what latitude is the one on Mars? And he, he got the, uh, sent me to his other geologist who gave me the information. It, it was 41 degrees, 36 minutes. And I knew that the center of the crater here on Earth was at 41 degrees, 36 minutes. How hmm. is that possible? Hmm. Okay? The same size, same latitude. And how, and fa- how so, far from the probe that's buried? Which I don't know why. No one's digging up. Right. Well, first off, it's on private property. And secondly, the government uh, wouldn't let you do it. Okay? The, who wouldn't let because you do it? Because they already know about it. They know about it big time. Okay? Oh. Hmm. They've been monitoring it uh, as well. Um, any rate, uh, hmm. the um, I wa- s- since the tho- the Avebury Circle on Mars corresponds with the crater on I mean um, a- the crater on Mars corresponds with Avebury Circle in England. The cliff crater. And I thought, yes. that, well, if uh, those were at a smaller scale than the ones on Mars, but this uh, crater remnant crater that I found on Earth was the same size as the one on Mars. So I used the, the ratios of distance between the different monuments on Mars, and I went off in the right direction, or the same direction that the Tholus would be, thinking that I would find the equivalent of the Silbury Hill in England. I would find something similar on Earth. Okay. And where, when I uh, got to the end of my ruler, there I found the Tholus on Earth. The Tholus is where uh, the... Uh, Stuart Air Force and military army bases built right on top of it, uh-huh. uh, and it's and it's ver- very well preserved. Even though uh, I the glaciers came down the valley and knocked all the pyramids and all the other structures down, 
uh, the bases of the pyramids, the remnants of the crater, and, and the tholus are still there, okay, on Earth. Hmm. And, and it became apparent that since the uh, last ice age destroyed most of the monuments on Earth, that they predate the Sidonia complex on Mars. Predate. Predate. Okay? Now, how do you know it predates the Sidonia because complex? Because it was before the Ice Age, and the uh, then I went and looked for the face on 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 Earth, and I found it. I found it near Goshen, uh, New York. the The face was still fairly well preserved. You can see the forehead, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the chin. All of that is preserved. So we have a face on Mars, and we have a face on Earth. All right, but predating because the, what's on Mars is, to my opinion, could and should be much older than what we see on Earth because it, of its. No, uh, no, it can't be. It cannot be. Why? I've been trying to argue this uh, to these people who want it make it older. No, okay? I don't know. I'm just it, saying it because of Mars' condition. The, the Sidonia complex on Mars was built because the the people who built the the original complex on Earth in the Walkill River Valley during the last interglacial, um, that they um, wanted to preserve the, the, the importance of those monuments. And the only place they could preserve them was on Mars. And they built the, the Sidonia complex on Mars at the exact same latitude and the exact same size as the original on Earth. And then I also found the, the base of the DNM here on Earth uh, near Warwick, New, New, New York, and um, it, it covers, you know, uh, quite a large area. It was over a thousand feet tall. This pyramid hmm, at right. one time, before the uh, the glaciers knocked it over. Now, the reason I know that uh, the one on Earth came first is because it is perfectly positioned within the Walkill River Valley. It's surrounded by mountains and hills on both sides. There's only one place it can fit in that valley, all right? I mm-hmm. mean, the Sedona complex covers a tremendous amount of area. Right. But on Mars, it, you have this uh, ancient seabed where the, it was built, and they could maneuver it and, and position it in exactly uh, you know any place they wanted so long as the uh, latitude of the cr- center of the crater was uh, in the right space, right place, and they could do that. But... Uh, if the one on Mars was built first, how in the world can you change all the mountains and the positions and the valleys on, on, on Earth to make it fit perfectly? It goes, in other words, do you uh, make a shoe to fit a foot or do you make a foot to fit a shoe? You see, that's definitely okay. a new perspective, and I appreciate that uh, because the, a lot of the model has been looking um, that they had come here. Like they would come here from the all these various disasters, and and that and that brings a question because if that's true, where one of these nuclear weapons went off in Dr. Brandenburg's uh, re- revelation on that pun intended Martian revelation, <laughs> uh, that's a scale of up to almost eight hundred million years, isn't it? Well, was it eight hundred million? I think he said. Well, I don't oh, think yeah, he wanted million. to make it close to a billion, and then he brought it back, you know, and it was talking about millions of years. And I'm sa- saying, no, no, well, no. Well, right, that would the, only be thousands. The Sidonia complex on Mars uh, would have 
have had to have been built uh, after the one on Earth was destroyed by Ice Age, okay? And so you're dealing with something, uh, and I was able to date the, the, the complex on Mars uh, because of continental drift on Earth. If you look at the uh, center of the crater on Mars and, and compare it to the center of the crater, a uh, latitude of the crater on Earth, they are off just a little bit by continental drift. Uh, the north, northeast has moved to the north uh, by about 3,888 feet, which computes to 118,500 centimeters. Hmm. Okay? They are off by just that small amount. But if the we have determined that the North American continent is rotating uh, such that uh, the um, the crater would be moving north at a rate of either one centimeter per year or two centimeters per year. If it were one centimeter per year and that to create the offset, then that ta- means that the one on Mars was built 118,500 years ago, which is at the very end of the last interglacial. Man, I would really to- love to know Dr. Carlotto's take on this. Uh, he's... Um- how familiar is he with your model? Oh, I, I've corresponded with him. He's well aware of it. Uh, and, and he's been pushing all of his dates of these ancient civilizations back yeah. to that time. Okay? That's interesting. And now, if it's two centimeters per year continental drift on Earth, then it would be half that or approximately, what, 50, um, 59,000 years old. So... Either the Sidonia complex on on Mars was built 118,000 years ago or 59,000 years ago. And either one fits in his time scale perfectly. He's been pushing all of these ancient foundations of civilizations and and megalithic structures back to that period of time, between 59,000 and 118,000. So we're in the same window. But the impressive part of this is it means that whoever built the Sidonia complex on Mars came from Earth. Well, again, that changes perspectives around on the model, isn't it? That's being... Uh, yes. And, that, and again, I can appreciate that it does, you know, it still brings up many questions, just as many as, uh, you know, some would be canceled out, depending on which is what. Uh, I definitely got to say we need more input on that. And uh, I think that's a route to definitely, it's valuable to look into, no matter what one thinks, because something went on, and uh, if there's similarities on both planets, well, that that's obviously driving to the point that we, or a species back here on Earth in the past, uh, became spacefaring. And right. uh, and rather, you know, as an indigenous point of view, compared to an extraterrestrial uh, presence that just, you know, happened to hop on the planet and set things up. But they are. They did it on Mars. And, you know, instead of the Martians, who knows where they come, indigenous or not, coming to the Earth. What seeded what? But then we have the problem, which I think you're familiar with, the uh, ancient Sumerians of what has been... Uh, left in the archives or translated by some, like Zechariah Sitchin, regards to their part with Mars 
and their presence here on Earth, which that time scale goes even up to uh, 450,000 years, and then how long till they created us and then made Mars as a way station, have you figured out the math in the time frame of what you're proposing, sir, to connect validity, if anything, at least, to what supposedly the Anunnaki told to the Sumerians? What left to them, as it was, as their history. Well, it's quite clear to me that the uh, Sumerians or the uh, the Anunnaki uh, were um, non-humans, mm. and they they came from uh, from space. Uh, we don't know exactly where they came from. I think I do from the people I know uh, that who have access to that information. Um, but they they are responsible for jumpstarting our civilization about you know twelve ten to twelve thousand years ago, um, and they're still with us even huh. today. Uh, you know people think that they they left the Earth. No, they didn't. They've been uh, very carefully uh, regulating our civilizations and yeah. and uh, like Mar- like uh, Mars. Earth has its subsurface illegals as well. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And therefore, if any of the damages of Mars or whatever happened there, it would also, uh, could have been by them. And, well, they could be leading the Earth to that same conclusion. I don't know. (laughs) But their handiwork was here, like, and then on Mars... Because what I see, look, I'm going to let this out to help boggle your model more. Not rule it out, in my opinion. Uh, but Mars, I see, by what I see, and I'm crazy, ask anyone, I see Mars as an artistically sculpted entire planetary surface. And Cydonia is a big crux of the. The, uh, the research that I did into that to come to that conclusion to work away from that and work away or my way around the planet, which like Dr. Carlotto does with structures here on Earth, uh, a lot of these have connections and it's based upon an, uh, an old planet uh, uh, patterning, sculpting, or whatever you want to call it that obviously has been covered up here on Earth and has been severely damaged in a lot of places on Mars. Uh, Would that be a far-fetched aspect to that model, or would it help enhance it? Hopefully I'm asking Well, there are a lot of strange things uh, that are on Mars. I mean, uh, when we didn't have very high-resolution images, uh, people were seeing all sorts of things on Mars, strange faces, and carved into uh, mountainsides and stuff like this. And uh, even um, John Brandenburg found a whole bunch of stuff uh, in, in his search uh, of uh, strange anomalistic objects. And uh, I've been in contact with people that are... One, a friend of mine uh, has a, a channel called Inhabit Mars, and he has been finding all sorts of interesting things in Gale Crater, Mm-hmm. Um, he's even found what appear to be wooden ships that are still right there, even some with their sails collapsed on them. Um, when that 
Gale Crater was filled with water at one time. Hey, maybe so you that, can put me in touch with him. It sounds like he'd be a great guest. Maybe with you one time. Yes, he would be. Yeah, he would definitely be a great guest. And I'll, I'll give you his information. Cool. Um, his, his name is uh, Robert Harbour, and he's very much into that. Just Google Inhabit Mars mm-hmm. and Harbour, uh, and you will uh, see his work. And he's been finding all sorts of amazing things uh, uh, on on the surface mm-hmm. that uh, have you know been da- damaged by some uh, weathering or, or erosion, but not much. I mean, he's having a um, um, a problem being able to uh, distinguish things that um, uh, based on erosion uh, and wind damage that could be just artificial or they might be just natural features. But he is, um, he's got a keen eye, and a lot of other people have been finding th- strange things there, too. Yes. It's just rebooting. Um, yes, indeed, especially myself. I love the orbital imagery, studying it myself more so than the uh, surface imagery of the rovers, though I am fascinated, but I am obsessed I'm always above Mars, <laughs> you know, and uh, well, well, I found a lot of things. One of my, my close friend, Scott L. Stride, mm-hmm. and he works for JPL, and he designed and engineered the telecommunication system for the Mars rover. Oh, nice. The first. Yeah, and he worked on uh, the um, uh, the Mars helicopter, which is approaching Mars right now. The ingenuity. Going to land on Mars soon. And yes. What, about 80 days from now? Oh, yes, indeed. Uh you know, I hope the commie Chinese blows up, but that's my crazy opinion. Uh, but I like to see that ingenuity fly, and then what they can potentially send on next missions, uh, or what they could applicate with flight and microphones and uh, traveling low and anywhere. I think they should send at least uh, a triad of them on the next one. Three of them go further and farther and back each other up and like stereo- stereoscopic uh, data <laughs> coming in. Multiple tests. Oh, it's be going to get better. Believe me, it's going to get better and better and better. What, what's your prediction uh, our, on that Ingenuity I mean, helicopter? Already, we already have, have reduced the cost of uh, rockets and getting into space and getting to Mars. So, um, yeah, we're going to see things in the future. The question is, are we going to live long enough ourselves to, to yeah, see all this? Yeah, the turtle next now pay speed policy. You see, you heard him say it, too, and not so much words. <laughs> but uh, what is your prediction, uh, since we're on that subject, of the Ingenuity helicopter? Uh, flight or fail? It's going to fly. There you go. And it's going to be <laughs> an amazing uh, aerial images looking down on structures rather than just looking at the sides of structures. You're going to get a map view of what's there. Indeed. Or the potential of structures, as long as they uh, fly around them and give it to us, the public. You know, (laughs) they have a habit of not giving us uh, certain data. You might see on the facesofmars.com page, the show page, sir, scrolling down the page, you'll come into a video called UFO Diaries, and in it it has other faces of Mars that never seen before or in any NASA public archive of Viking uh, or any other one uh, that was provided by Richard Hoagland, by the way, but I'm not going to get in that battle. But I'll oh, just... yeah, I've seen most of this stuff that he's... he's and uh, Dr. Brandenburg, uh, now Dr. Brandenburg on this show in 2018, 
In 2006 or 2007, he written a preliminary report under a, he didn't want to be named then. But in 2018, I held his confidence, and he admitted on this show that he was the, the author of that preliminary report and vindicated the fact that those images are real because of the fact that the Vikings, at the end of their lifespans of, the, you know, the public mission, they were dipping closer to the surface before they would crash they would go over sites of interest and that's where these other faces which we see in these images were taken and that were not given to the public and uh to this day the the hunt is still on i found other faces though not these ones but it tells me by finding others that should not even be there if the face of cydonia is a mere trick of light and shadow it's like like Dr. Brandenburg says, you know, the face isn't uh, alone. It's not. In fact, it's not only not alone. It's not even lonely, and <laughs> therefore, it's only a matter of time before I find them, or someone just comes clean with them and provides us all with the truth, and that these images would not have been released. Now they may be around somewhere now, potentially, but definitely not in the public archives. Al, so I'm still trying to get him to help nudge him or others that maybe help with these problems, you know? Uh, I don't want to well, well, do spit re- anyone, you know? I just want the truth. We all do. Well, do you, right. Do you realize that the, well, the face on Earth is the mirror image of the one on Mars? I mean, the perfect mirror image. The one that's covered, like you're talking about in that area? In, in near uh, Goshen, New York. It's the mirror image of the one on on Mars. Well, or the I, one on I Mars love to believe that, but I gotta see that. I gotta see that. It might be in size, but I gotta see the details. Well, why don't you go to my channel? Okay. Go to my channel, which which is and look for the uh, the videos named uh, the Sidonia Two Complex. Which I have it. I have it linked on uh, and the page embedded on the page under your info, sir, and under that is your book. Uh, United, right. You're right, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, I believe it is. Uh, let me right. go to it, look, since I'm mentioning it. Uh, unconventional. Un- unconventional. Unconventional aerial phenomena. phenomena. Yeah, and that's the same region where all this sits anyway, right? Right, it's all together. That's amazing. All in the same place. That's amazing, yes, Dr. That Bruce. The, the area where the original Sedona complex was built on Earth over 118,000 years ago. Oh, actually, it was closer to 125,000 years ago when it was built. Okay, back when the last, during the last interglacial, which is a warm period like we're having today uh, in our Holocene interglacial, that's when we had a 3,000-year period of global warming in the middle of the Eemian interglacial. Uh, that, you know, it, it, it is where the temperatures on Earth climbed to three to five degrees centigrade on average hotter than today centigrade we're just uh, entering that's backwards that, right we're, yeah centigrade we're just entering that period of time now on in our interglacial and uh so if our global warming is due to man okay well maybe that global warming that. was due to e, e, et ah Okay, but are we convinced that it was man's really creating this now? Because it seems, I don't know, 
I don't know, but maybe I think you, that, maybe you would know a little. There's evidence that the sun is getting hotter. Okay, okay. that would make that. it beyond but then. There's also evidence that the uh, the global temperature is climbing faster than it would uh, if without the CO2. Okay, hmm. uh, with the CO2, it's climbing faster, and um, so uh, maybe the the period of a 5,000 year period of global warming during the last interglacial is very very significant. Okay. It it would also implies that, uh, however, that whatever is causing it, it is uh, repetitive. Now, that uh, repeat can be due to natural causes, like the sun just getting hotter right. at that particular time in the cycle, or it could be due to uh, an intelligent life form that was polluting the planet back then. Now, and in the tours. Would the cores show that potential difference, or is there no way to tell that if we oh, were to well, take cores? They've been looking at cores from the last Eemian interglacial, yeah, and they've found uh, exotic chemicals in those cores that would only be produced today by man. I see. You know, I think that's a yeah. good spot, sir, to take a break, a much-needed uh, one. Uh, you okay with that, sir? Sure. All right. And How then, long do you want to go with this? Uh, well, at least for uh, till uh, well, you're in my time zone, so till one o'clock. Okay. All right. Uh, you okay? All right. Cool. So uh, we'll be back in about I don't know. Let me say five minutes, six minutes. So everyone could do that bathroom break, and Liz, listeners to this show could appreciate pack them and smoke them because you're definitely going to need them when we come back on the Martian Revelation. You know what I'm saying? And now this right. is Dr. Cornette brings uh, a new perspective model that it wasn't the Martians, that we're the Martians. Well, we're the Martians in a sense that it was us. Is it us or some other previous civilization and species that went there. Please mute your mic, sir, and we shall be back on the Martian Revelation. Again, I wonder, did you find any... I'll be back. Don't run. We are your friends. If you are a listener of the Martian Revelation, then you are well aware that the entire planet Earth is currently involved in an all-out worldwide space race. Every country across the globe, including England, Germany, India, Russia, and China, are involved in a mad Martian rush to be the first country to plant their flag on Mars. Get an idea of what these brave astronauts will be finding on the planet Mars before President Trump plants the first American boots on the face of Mars. You might want to familiarize yourself with George Haas and get to know his work and read his books. Haas has been studying NASA and European Space Agency imagery of Mars for over 25 years and has co-authored two books with geomorphologist William Saunders called the Cydonia Codex and the Martian Codex. I encourage you all to support his research by visiting his website at www.thecydoniainstitute.com. And remember, as George Haas has always said, through NASA's own pictures, the truth will be revealed.
Yes, indeed. Round and round this world spins. But not just this one. And look how histories emerge on two different worlds. As above, so below. Again, Jeffrey Boyd Jr., Independent Research Society motto there. And uh, welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Legier, your host of Mars Revealer, known also as the Mad Martian. I'm crazy. And, you, of course, you're listening to the Martian Revelation. That's upon you all again now. And we're with our guest, Dr. Bruce Cornett. And very interesting. <laughs> again, it threw me through a whoop de doo I mean, I've considered the thing before, but not to where the fact we are went there and did that. Because what I see there... And maybe because it's uncovered in a lot. That's the problem. And we have a lot of vegetation here on Earth and a lot more erosional processes than it does on Mars. But we're under the impression that on Mars, it would take a lot, much, lot longer for things to erode. I don't know. But then again, I don't know. You know, the erosion processes, if any, would stop once the properties that are there to help them uh, to continue would stop. So I don't I don't know. I wasn't there. But it raises many questions. And I think uh, Dr. Cornett appreciates my thoughts on the core samples to be able to do there as well. And I say for shits and giggles just to compare. But, hey, does, if anyone uh, would like to call on in and have a question for Dr. Cornett, um, again, let's blow off the cobwebs from this timeline. <sighs> Two zero two six eight four six nine five five. Two zero two six eight four six nine five five. One more. Two zero two six eighty four sixty nine fifty five. So if you have a question or a comment or want to share your thoughts and opinions about that. Grow some nuts, call on in. It's okay. You know, I'm crazy, but I'm not going to bite you. I can't take your head off over a phone line, right? So uh, do that. Uh, if there's any questions, please message me or whatnot. So back to Dr. Cornette here. So now, by the video, Cydonia 2 study uh, report, that's also listed on the facesofmars.com there, just under his book. Uh, unconventional aerial phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. Uh, well, no, that's my buddy Larry. Hey, wait a minute. Where is it? It should be right here. Oh, it's above it. It's above his book. All right, my bad. But, yeah, but since I brought up Larrabee, again, for those that packed them and smoked them, you need the creamy garlic mushrooms. Check that out. Again, and he provides us with some t tasty treats for the opportunity to take the spirit and have the perseverance to march on dealing with this show as we usher in and make our fate of the Martian Revelation a reality. And Dr. Bruce Cornett is uh, definitely doing that to us this night. Definitely to me. Now, where the face is, now, is it the same? It's the same distance, right? Basically, though, maybe shifted a little by the landmass, uh, tectonic movement and whatnot on Earth. But is it the same distance as it would be from the cliff pyramid and the tholus? Is Dr. Cornette with us? I'm hearing silence, guys. You might have to turn on your mic, sir. Please turn on your mic. <laughs> There's dead air. Someone tell me something. Do we still have them connected? 
Because I think that's a good question. Because he said it with uh, the Tholis, basically was, or the Avebury. You know, no, the Tholis uh, of the crater, or at the crater, there was military bases or whatnot. I want to know what the face. Is there any military bases there? Who, uh, who owns that land? I'd like to dig in. And is it the same size and scale, a mile wide, a mile and a half long? It's proposed to be 1,500 foot high. That's pretty big. Someone's messaging me. Let me see. Another hour. Another hour what? I think that's from someone else. Never mind. So, um, hey, guys, can anyone tell me something? Is Dr. Cornette with us? You could, you know, switch on your mic. Feel free to speak. I can't, I can't read minds in this instance. Mean Green? That air sucks, guys. I'm trying to understand this. We are back live, right? Am I being heard? If Dr. Cornette's speaking, I do not hear him. Hello? See, now I'm starting to get worried that no one hears me. Can you effing hear me, bro? There you are. Oh, there you are. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I thought, you know. Lost, lost connection. Ah. Uh, uh, yeah. Are you in a rural area? No, I'm in El Paso, Texas. Oh, wow. Um, but we got mountains around us. Oh, well, yeah, that can, I guess that can affect it. So, uh, I don't know, have you heard, did you hear anything that I said? <laughs> nope, not since we went on a break. Okay, well, oh, crap. All right, anyway, um, where you say the faces that's covered up, is that the same distance as the features there in Cydonia, mile-wise, and is the face the same size, a mile and a half long, a mile wide? Yes. 1,500 same foot size, high? Same orientation. When, when you look at the, the video and, and go to the website that I, I believe I sent on the Sidonia 2 complex, um, I, I show all the maps and, and diagrams. I think I sent them to you. but I, I'll uh, add those links to the archive again. page. Sorry, sir. Okay. any rate, uh, in the videos that I gave you, I present all that information. And I also present the age, evidence for the age of the Sodonia complex on Mars, based on continental drift. Uh, Richard Hoagland originally tried to age date the Sodonia complex on Mars based on crater uh, densities. And that was way off. Um, and I think uh, Dr. Brandenburg wanted to uh, make the uh, the Sodonia complex on, on Mars a lot older than than a million years. And he was thinking in terms of isotopic dates uh, or ages for the, uh, the nuclear uh, explosions. Right, which Viking detected the same year life was detected, according to Dr. Gillivan and others, at, at, and the face staring at them with the eye following them across the sky, but that's my madness. 
But they also discovered that Xenon-129, which means, like Dr. Brandenburg said, they knew then. And they didn't want yeah. any of us to know about that. But obviously, right. those in the know wanted to know, of course. And we're finding out about it now. He's been tapped on the shoulder, said it's okay to go with that, to tell us that, to reveal that to us. But the moon is classified. <laughs> you know, right. you got to appreciate his, the irony in that and his position. You know, man, what a position to be in. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, the, it amazed me that uh, when I discovered, I learned about the Batcave and, and, and the study of uh, the moon when I was with Hoagland, and then to learn that uh, Brandenburg was in the Batcave. He was working there, you know, <laughs> when you had those uh, satellites uh, mapping the moon uh, back in the uh, early to mid-90s. Right. Indeed, and it's classified. So he definitely has knowledge about these. That's why... What he has to say about those images of other faces as seen from UFO diaries, again, provided by Hoagland without getting into the bullshit uh, of that, that these faces of Mars, these structures. Now, I'm betting, well, before I uh, give my thought on the bet, what does Hoagland think of this area? Of the Cerdonia 2? Yeah. And the one that I found? Yeah. I. I, uh, well, we broke apart at the, at the time I found that. I mean, uh, he, well, I thought it was, I was um, uh, you know, uh, challenging him, you know, and taking away his thunder. I mean, he called this, the the Tholus and the uh, um, crater on in England, in other words, Avebury Circle and, and Silbury Hill, he called that the Sidonia Two on Earth. And here I was coming up and calling... A, a bigger one uh, representation here in in his own backyard. More he features. He lived in New York, in New right. York at the time. Right, because everybody is not following it. There's no face there that we could see or pinpoint unless you drove over there and did these tests there too to help him confirm that model. Uh, so, yeah, I could see, I guess, the discrepancy that would be there. But I thought it's a good question to bring up anyway. Uh, it just, you know, it's thought-provoking. So... Where that face is here, okay, that's buried and whatnot. There was it's a not buried. Oh, it's not buried. It's right out in the open. I'm going to study you this. You can go walk on it. You can climb on it. But I, I do have a, uh, a caution, okay? Mm -hmm. Because um, right on the uh, right forehead of the face on Earth okay. is... The New York Psychiatric Hospital for the Criminally Insane. <laughs> on the right side. Hey, you want to hear something funny? I was hit on the right thalamic region of my brain. <laughs> and I had, yeah, and I had uh, tears in the fabric there. But it, it may have uncalcified something because my life has been more enhanced, let's just say, through this Twilight Zone realities of which we're in the past of discussing now without getting into it. So it's kind of funny you mention that. Why is the right side an important issue? And uh, an insane asylum there. That's incredible. Right. Yeah, because part of my question was, was there a military base there too or anything? So this is in the open. How, 
I don't. I, I, I got to study this features. And do you have high resolution imagery of the of this feature too? I'd love to see it. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. I'm going to send to you on Skype. Okay. Mm-hmm. The uh, the some of these images are, are going to blow your mind. Okay. You might want to send uh, them to Mean Green. He could put them on the video as we talk. Okay. Uh, yeah. Mean Green. Let me see. Uh, I'm just trying to negotiate. This this crazy uh, cell phone of mine on Skype. I'm, I'm still blown away by okay, that go. model of yours, though. I, I got to tell Here you, I'm doing go. that. Here we go. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, let me see. That would be incredible. In an insane asylum. <laughs> yeah. The crazies. Yeah, that, that... <laughs> I escaped. They'll say. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've told my friends. I said, "Yeah, if you if they, they deem me insane, just give me a room in that hospital, and I'll be happy as you know a pig in shit, uh, <laughs> yeah, living on top of the face on 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 Earth." And here's the other weird thing about this: uh, the face on Mars, the initials are FOM, F O M. Right. Okay, mm-hmm. face on Mars, but the face on Earth. What are it, what's its acronym? FOE. F O E. FO. Oh, oh, yeah, it does smell <laughs> FOE. <laughs> I'm crazy. FO. Indeed, that's right. interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It is very interesting. So it sort of raises a question as to exactly what is going on here. Yeah. And. Uh, Huh. Okay. Okay. I'm going to. I wonder if I'm going to send you. All right. Yeah. What the hell is going on? All right. Here's the image. And I'm going to now also. Okay. I'm going to give you another one of. Did you say? Did you send it to me, Green? Done. And I'm going to give you another one of. The um, Dolus. Excuse me, while you're doing that, sir, let me ask something. Is there someone on the line with us? Not on my side. Well, there's some noise or something, or someone's mic is on, or something that's not me or you. It sounded like someone was on a horn or something. But I mean, Green, he's going to send you some pics on Skype, I believe. About the cornet. Right. Did, I'm did, sending them to Mars River Velar. Oh, right now. All right. Could you send those same ones to Mean Green so he could show them on the show video for the listeners to see? Sorry, I will. Sir. Thank you. I'm doing that right now. No problem. Okay. All right. Well, it is interesting to say what I'm seeing here so far, but I'm definitely wanting high res. I'm, I mean, airplane views. Satellite views of these of these features for sure. Uh, that would help me. And uh, someone, I got a message saying that LIDAR would penetrate to see that. I said, really? All right, well, that would be great, especially if this face is exposed. That should be even better. They don't have to penetrate that far then, in my opinion. No, nope, you don't have to penetrate. That's why I said LIDAR wouldn't work. Okay, and um, let me see. Here we go. All right, I've done all of that. Now I wanted to do one the comparison. Yeah, well there we go. All right, finally these are the images, the uh, one, two, three, four that I sent uh, to um, 
to Marshall. To you, Green. I've sent them to Mean Green, and okay. he should get them right now. Okay. That'll be cool. Uh, this is where I took the Martian images of the Sidonia complex and photographically overlaid them on the topographic maps of the features on Earth. That is incredible. I'd like. I'd probably do the same thing: uh, an overlay and a fusion of actual satellite imagery. These look like uh, map drawings, map elevation drawings. Is that correct? Yes, sir? that's right. They're right. topographic sheets. Yeah, I, they're I'd very like accurate. To, I'd like to see the actual images. Or can you discern it in actual satellite images? Not very well because you have tree cover and right. you have. Uh, of farm fields and uh, and buildings and everything else, uh, you know, masking the underlying features. Now that's where lidar might actually be helpful if it, you could get remove the buildings, okay, hmm. and the trees, and you could just. But the lidar would show you just the the topographic features as you see them in this in these maps that I provided you. Boy, that that would be painstaking. Look at that. Even the uh, the cliff, you know, on Mars. That's on the outsplash apron of the crater. Right. It's present here on Earth too. Really, at the same spot. Yeah, and there's a road. There's a road that crosses the top of it, and it's called Hill Avenue. Huh. That's crazy. Uh. Well, definitely, you know, you do a whoop-de-doo in this machine here, sir. Uh, I think should be looked at more intently. Uh, whether it is or not, but if it is, all the more reason to get, to look into it. I mean that that would be very implicating. Uh, I I don't. Well, you have you have a downside. How that proves, at least to you, that it was us that went to Mars. But I I don't know. But it could, I guess. There's something there for you to latch on to. I'm sure you just didn't come up with that just to say that. You know. Well, we could. You know, we could uh, some intelligent life form on Earth went uh, built these structures and then went to Mars and built a duplicate. So that the, the the thought that was in my head when I was discovering all this is that whoever uh, built the one on Mars knew that the ones on Earth were going to be destroyed by ice age, the glaciers coming down the valley, okay, mm -hmm. and toppling all the pyramids. And the DNM pyramid was you, the blocks of it were just carried all the way down the valley. You can see bits and pieces of them still, and right. the uh, but uh, they these monuments must have had such a value to that civilization that they would go to that extent of building a replica on Mars. Okay, knowing that once we recovered in our uh, evolution. And uh, we became spacefaring again and went to Mars. We would find the face on Mars and we would be able to match it up with the features on Earth that were badly damaged by ice and ground down. Hmm. So we'd be able to uh, see them. And that's exactly what I did and how I discovered all of the, uh, the remnant features here on Earth. But it also indicates that whoever went to Mars and built that on Mars stayed there for a while. And then they came back here to Earth. Right. Okay. Maybe multiple times. Hmm. Yeah, that could be too. Again, multiple times. Indeed. Uh, but that time frame, that makes it, I don't know, perplexing. <laughs> yeah, again, it's a, it's a whoop-de-doo on this show to contemplate of the possibilities. And then, again, 
again, the, the course, has, uh, which has been taken, like you said, but you said they would they, not you, you want us to believe that for various reasons. Say because, that again? you know, if you push it back a million or a billion. Say that again. We got broke up a little. I think uh, I think uh, he got clipped by uh, Sky. Oh, there he is. Can you say that, that again? Because you went out. You went out, sir. You weren't heard. Can you hear me? Out to Bruce. Yeah, he must have uh, connection problems. Those damn those damn beams on the mountain peaks. <laughs> you know. But yeah, there's all right. There's one image up there on the screen. Mean Green showing. Two, he's showing the images with Dr. Cornette at Santum and myself. Huh. Yeah, I think he's going in and out. I think he's got some type of issue going on. I heard what he said, but then I didn't. And then uh, he came, he tried coming back in, it sounded like, and then... So I don't know. He's probably explaining a whole shitload now, and we're just sitting here like, <laughs> you know, hey, can you repeat that, sir? <laughs> the dilemmas of this show. <laughs> what can we do? But it's very fascinating, though. What if what if he's right? You know, it is. I can't say it's impossible. It's impossible of what we're looking up there and more as it should be. And that we are told. Here I am. I'm back. Oh, the, I got bumped the, off. Uh, that's yeah. That's what I figured. So I kind of missed all that from way where you were starting to explain. It was a good couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Basically, that uh, you know we we may have built that on Mars when, and that Mars uh, civilization may have existed relatively recently in the last hundred thousand years. And there, and there may have been oceans and atmosphere on Mars, and that was all destroyed by that nuclear war. Now I wonder if that, by that nu that means, would it have been uh, well the builders here on Earth that went to Mars and did that to Mars, or again the threats coming from deep space? The President Trump and uh, Vice President Mike Pence alluded to in creating the Space Force of the threats coming from deep space. Yes, <laughs> there, there's very, definitely that's uh, a possibility. There is somebody out there that wants to destroy Earth. Yes, and indeed. And there are other ETs who are, there are that are want to protect Earth and are protecting Earth. Now, that gets into <coughs> another main subject, <clears throat> and uh, I encourage everyone to please uh, buy Dr. Bruce Cornett's book, uh, The Unconventional Aerial Phenomena in the Hudson and Wallkill River Valley of New York. And uh, definitely check out that Cydonia 2 report, which I'm going to do more intently. I've brisk skimmed through it. I didn't have really have time to study it, uh, even though my buddy Frank Kinesia had given it to me <laughs> some time ago. <laughs> my life's been crazy. But I'll say this much. It definitely throws a whoop-de-doo, and I was kind of glad it happened here on the show. Uh, yeah. Now, Frank's we, a good friend of mine, too. Yeah. He's, oh, cool. So um, that being said, of what we're seeing here is really... It, it, it's, it's so implicating. Now... 
what I wanted to get into, again, now my brain fart is over, uh, the TR3Bs, the UAPs, and all these other unidentified craft, again, like Dr. Brandenburg said on this show, the UFO bones connected to, to the Mars bone. Now, the government is already finally, are you, are you happy at least they finally at least came out as much as they did and acknowledged this reality? And or yes, but they're not. But they, but you have to keep in mind, and something that's very important. Uh-huh. And Brandenburg knows this more than anybody, is that a lot of the, what has been discovered about uh, UAP or uh, this alien technology has to be classified and kept classified because of our enemies. Okay, that I they understand. can't reveal it, but the the public uh, can reveal it if they are shown. Just as I was out there in the field, spent 11, 12 years studying the phenomena, and they came and put on performances right before my cameras. I mean, we had spectacular performances, and they I've know that they some myself. on the ground. I've witnessed some myself and also uh, with friends of mine, and they got worried because they thought I called them, and I said, no, they just... <laughs> But anyway, so I can kind of relate to what I think you're talking about. Because they, you know, and then they do put on a show. Well, I have evidence in the book I present that uh, the, 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 this intelligence or these, uh, you could call them non-humans, or they could be humanoid. They, um, they've been here for thousands and thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And they live underground, an underground base. And they, they found the, the area where they came out, come out of the ground and go into the ground. They open up tunnels going in. And the Native Americans, before Europeans came, um, saw all these strange lights coming up, these plasma lights coming out of the ground and going into the ground in this one area. So they built a huge sweat lodge there, along with the unki and, and where they put the fire and the, heat up the rocks and then take them into the sweat lodge and put water on them and steam uh, you know, get the the, the sauna effect inside that are sweat lodge. Are you talking about well, these that, same areas that's, uh, where these features are? Yeah, yeah. We found it when we flew over them in a helicopter and I photographed them, and they're on my in the book and uh, showing uh, where the, the center of this hot spot is and where um, this uh, the sweat lodge was, mm-hmm. and it marks the entrance to a huge underground alien base. And uh, this is where they're coming from and why Pine Bush is so active. Okay. Now you said they don't, ever, they don't reveal uh, this. That, you know, and now, you have the, that uh, alien robotic probe that you've over... He's, oh, shit, he just went out again. Everybody's talking about the alien probe. Constellation <laughs> is overhead. That's pretty amazing. I mean, it's all centered there. And then I find the original Sidonia complex Damn it. Boy. It becomes irritating after a while, but hey, the net is the net, you know? I'm lucky to be streaming what I'm streaming. Ain't that right, me and Green and Odin? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, I lost you again. Yeah, yeah, you're coming in and out. So, all right. So now these crap... You said that the enemy, our government, don't want to tell us because they don't want our enemies to know. Which enemies? The commie Chinese or the threats coming from deep space? And or are these UAPs of the enemy or of those helping? 
Damn it. I don't think he heard that. But I think that's a good question. But still, we know that when we were told, like on Tucker, that the Chinese and the Russians pilots have engaged these UFO, these UAPs, sorry, UFOs are fake, they're phony. Yeah, it's the same shit. So, now that it's coming to be a reality, they, they've engaged them. And that their, that their pilots have even lost their lives. Think about what that means. And the soft disclosure, because what wasn't mentioned, is why would we be spared from, uh, from facing the same circumstance? Which we wouldn't be. That means ours have too. So that's like something they give us that we can figure, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know, Dr. Bruce Cornett, he's, I guess, trying to get back with us. Yeah, I'm getting you intermittently. Yeah. So um, these craft now, are they the enemy? Or are they those helping the government? You said the government doesn't want our enemies to know. Who, the commie Chinese or the threat coming from these space or the or the intelligence behind these UAPs, and especially in that region? Right, right. I, I think that it's all connected and that our history goes back a long way, a lot further than, than ancient history according to textbooks. Hmm. And then there, for some reason then, Maybe by what we're being told or otherwise not being told and shown of Mars. Maybe because of them. Damn it. Yeah, you can start showing those videos, Mean Green. You back with us, sir? Yeah, I'm back with you now. <laughs> So, are they our friends? Are they the enemy? I think they're our friends. Okay. Would it be them that maybe is preventing us from knowing and seeing more about the truth of what's on Mars then? No, no there's a, an, another group that is trying to enslave us. And uh, they have been uh, doing this for a long period of time. And uh, they want, and so there's basically a... You, you've heard of the tall whites? Yes. Yeah. But, well, but tell the good listeners about them. bad factions. Ah. Where are they from? Ah, uh, I'd have to bring on my friend, uh, Susan, who is uh, knows all these beings, and uh, because she is one of them here on Earth. and um, Really? Uh, she, she is uh, yeah, from Archeron. In, in the um, the booties constellation, she's in from there, oh, and uh, she uh, is basically. Damn it! She's basically okay. She's an Arcanian. <laughs> Wonder if she got that booty. God, God, poor joke. <laughs> But I don't know, man. You know, alien booty. I mean, you know, human. If she's here amongst us, she must look like us. I don't know. And yet, people have a hard time conceiving in scriptures or otherwise, even in historical texts, of beings coming down, you know, basically from the heavens. And, uh, 
you know, coming into the women, have giants born of them. How far-fetched would that be when considering these aspects? I'm just trying to blab here, figuring out if Dr. Cornette... You there? We're going to get in the heart of the matter about these these crafts. Because especially like the TR-3B, is that theirs or is it ours? Is it a mixture? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Is it a back-engineered project? I'm back. What happened? Whoa, did you hear that? <laughs> That was weird. Yeah, I, I don't think somebody wants us to talk about this. It seems that's what you know, I was starting to cross my mind. It wouldn't be the first time, but uh, it is weird. Um, yeah, you could. Uh, sh we'll sh yeah, yeah, you could show the, the videos, Mean Green, of the TR3Bs. You, uh, you, Dr. Cornette, you sent Mean Green some videos, I suppose, and he's going to put them yes, up. Yes, yes. Now, um, so are those craft then? Ours, I'm speaking of the TR3Bs as an example. I know that the Tic Tac yeah. and other things, Dr. Jack, Dr. Jack Sarfati believes he's the actual creator there. He's going through a Star Trek, I forget what number movie that was, where, uh, you know, they met the guy that created warp speed or warp engines and the Klingons were coming to mess up the timeline and they were there to protect him to make sure he creates warp speed so there'll be a federation. But so that, that's what it reminds me of, Dr. Jack Sarfati, and that he designed right. them, but he has he, he has the knowledge in his head, the engineering standpoint, and he says that he's getting older, so hopefully he, he hopes it's soon, if he's right. And he believes he's right. <laughs> well, now, right, right. I know, I know, Jack. Uh, also, um, I, I want to describe those three videos that I uh, sent to, to Mean Green. Okay, uh, I'm waiting to see them on the TR3B. screen. One uh is -huh. and that was told to my friend who was also there, uh, Mark... Uh, Whitford, who was videotaping the performance by this the triangular craft, and he was told he's a Navy a retired Navy, and he was told by a friend in the Navy that we were given a performance. Uh, the Pentagon ordered Skunk Works to give us a performance of the TR-3B. So that one, I can be reasonably sure, is uh, an ARV, in other words, alien reproduction vehicle, a copy of huh. a, of an extraterrestrial one. Now, the other two are of the manta ray. It's a much bigger craft, about the size of a 747. And it's diamond-shaped, has a tail, and, and, and it can move its lights and all around its hull. It's quite amazing. Um, and um, it has its headlights on the outer outboard sides of the craft because it, when it goes into the underground base, it has to fly through tunnels and illuminate the sides of the tunnels as it goes down into the uh, ground. That makes sense. And, and uh, so, and, and I've had many videos of the, of the manta ray. We've uh, seen it all over the place in that area of New York. It's, uh, and it, it, it is definitely an ETV, an extraterrestrial vehicle. There are copies that are similar to that made by man, I believe. But um, uh, the, the, the ones that I, I, I mean, Here's the problem, uh, <clears throat> Mars, mm -hmm. is that I was telepathically communicating with the pilots, 
They would know when I was opening the shutter of my camera and when I was closing it, everything that I was doing. And they uh, choreographed their movements in the sky in front of my cameras with the my, what I was thinking and the opening and closing of the shutter of my uh, SLR uh, camera. And you don't get that with human pilots. Hmm. I mean, even with uh, assistance, technological assistance, I don't think human pilots could read my mind from two miles away. Right. <laughs> wow. So uh, that, and then the fact that they dive into the ground, and come out of the ground. So we're definitely dealing with uh, an alien component and a human component. And uh, there are also evidence uh, in my book that I present. Uh, 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 I somebody called me up and invited me to come to see his property over in Salt Point, New York, and that's where the one of the videos of Manta Ray comes from. Uh, this this image of the of that craft came up from out of an underground base and then came towards us and put on a beautiful performance on that video and you'll hear uh <clears throat> here billy mcnamara he's a hollywood actor been in, in quite a few movies and he his parents were living there at the time mm-hmm. and he's seen hatches open up in the middle of the field and he, somebody climb out and and close the hatch he's seen trucks go down a private road into a ravine that is a dead end and what are they doing? What are they taking uh, supplies to? So uh, he thinks it's an underground military base. And there's no question that humans are down there underground with these aliens. And uh, so that they're they're cooperating. They're working together. Kind of so, resembles Phil Snyder's story a little, uh, in a way. Underground, encountering beings, but something bad happened. Uh, that was That's interesting. Has anyone ever... Well, if they've seen the hatches, has anyone ever had the nuts to go out there and try to find it? Or is that, like, impossible? No, no, you can go out there and find it if you want to. You go back there. But it's all on private uh, horse farms, private property. And um, that's where all the elite, you know, the Clintons came from and every place else out there. Okay? All the very rich people, the billionaires, live out there. So Do you that's, think that's the another makers? connection. Do you think they're the makers or the ones who destroyed Mars and potentially, well, with that nations-wise, warred them, made of ward also here for all we know, and set up shop in place of maybe an enemy? Do you, or, or are they the ones that created this, you think? I know it's speculative, we, but that's we, all right. Spe- we don't know. We just don't know. We don't have enough information. Right. But that... They uh, seem to be cooperating and working together, and they are both want to keep it uh, classified, secret, from the the, the public, definitely. Uh, they don't want this information to uh, get much exposure. But most people are not going to want to believe that the, the, there's alien bases right underneath their house, right? Well, it's not far-fetched, and I've had experiences, so... Uh, I'm crazy, though. You know what I mean? So I have a different outlook. Uh, Samuel Bain asks, uh, what were the Phoenix lights? Good question. You know, and where do you hide something like that? Okay? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no shit. <laughs> I mean, that, and, and of course, uh, Ellen Crystal said, well, out in space. Or now other people say, it was uh, floating out in space. You know, yeah, right. Well, show me pictures. Okay. Under the you surface know? would be a better bet. Right, exactly. But then the opening they, they can for make it to these get huge, in. huge underground 
uh, uh, you know, um, hangars underground for these craft, too. Right. Caverns, literally. And who knows mm -hmm. how much. I mean, they have boring machines, and who knows what was already bored and already done, however long they've been here doing what they do. It makes you wonder, and especially if uh, Clintons and them, we know what they were into and what's supposedly been going on underground, too. And uh, what supposedly the Patriots and President Trump already has the evidence of, of their, well, their deeds, you know, and the so-called satanic type thing. That doesn't put a good light on who those beings potentially is. No, no, opinion. they're harvesting humans, the bad guys. Hmm. We're their food. Uh, look at all the, the tens of thousands of people that disappear in this country. Vanish without a trace. We're at war. That's what I'm seeing. Uh, and it's implicated, especially through my experiences. It's, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't want to get into all that, but it, it's putting all this together. It's just the reality of it. We're in the, we are, we're in this matrix where we're not being told and, and shown the truths of this world and beyond this world of that exists around us now. Even though President Ronald Reagan tri said, yet, yet I ask, is not an alien force already among us? Yet General Mark Milley in 2016, who's now the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who said to a graduating uh, cadets uh, back east in 2016 again, uh, what they're going to expect and what they're going to encounter and deal with is little green men, hybrid armies. And everyone, and everyone, you know, wow, what? <laughs> you know, no one asked some questions about it. They all wanted to know about his life and honored that. And I, was, and I always said, well, why wouldn't anyone ask? Well, that's because they were probably briefed and told not to. <laughs> but he said what he said. And that's a form of dis that's disclosure. That's a disclosure. Hybrid yeah, we, we've been to get a disclosure all along. It's just that the public doesn't want to believe it unless it's official. I mean, now that uh, the uh, government has officially um, uh, acknowledged the presence of unidentified flying objects, okay, all right, they're here. So what's but the prediction next? What's the next prediction if we are like on a model of Brookings, which I know you know what I'm talking about there, sir, to where now, based on the Brookings model, we're yes, at the point in time now, yeah. we're at a point where we must be told. Damn it. We lost them again, didn't we? It's turned out to be one crazy night. You know, especially with all... <laughs> Oh, these subjects that someone does not want us to think about. But yet, I'm crazy. Right, I'm, yeah. I'm going to lose you again, I think. <laughs> yeah. We're getting into, into this classified material here. <laughs> All the better. It shows we're on the right path of asking these questions right. and pondering. They cannot suppress us forever. But basically, I was saying that on the scale of Brookings, I know you're familiar with that, right? But now... Based on that model down through time, we're at a point now down through time where we must be told of this. I mean, what do you predict is the plan of this disclosure of theirs? To what level will it go? Well, the disclosure, disclosure is going to be made more by them than it's going to be by us, by yeah. our government. Okay? Ah. 
Okay, which means they want to they themselves known. That matches with Robert O'Dean, what he says uh, long ago, and others say, uh, hmm, what, what do you predict? Well, can you make a theoretical prediction of how things may go? It's the already been happening. In the, over the past 30 to 50 years, it's been happening. It's right. been continuing, constantly drip, 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 more and more information on what's going on. And, uh, you know, without uh, violating the so-called prime directive. Hmm. Because if they're going to mess with us, the ETs, that is, they're going to have to tell us that they're messing with us. Otherwise, higher councils and, and, and uh, uh, those who govern them will... Uh, come down on them. They didn't so have to tell there's, me. There's a lot was, more going on. Right. They didn't have to tell me. I was shown. They have to, yeah, they could easily mess with us and do. Uh, that. But yet I'm here alive still, which I should mm -hmm. not be. And I say that for more reasons than one, which we're not going to get into this night. But uh, it makes me wonder why. Whatever. Why am I alive? Why... It just doesn't make sense. Some, there's things that still don't yet add up yet. That's all. I'll, that much I think is fair to say for this conversation. So, what do you think of Dr. Jack Sarfati's thesis on <laughs> his model, which he firmly believes he is a time thing going on that he's the creator of this, at least by what he describes. As the technology behind it is the is it the same as what we're seeing in the TR3B and others, or are they, or are they offshoots or just different technologies? Yes, yes, it is, uh, and I'm the one who provided him with the reverse uh, Doppler effect. Hmm. Can you explain that to the audience, some please, and myself? All right. Uh, the sounds that come out of these craft that I was videotaping and photographing and audio recording. Uh, well, damn it! They really want to cut you off, <laughs> but I'll I'll keep that thought where he left off. The sounds that they were record that he was recording. Okay, the Doppler effect. Doppler effect sounds he was recording. If I brain fart, someone please quickly type that in, because I think that's important. But the sound that. Uh, Instead of so the sound uh, that comes from the craft as the craft is approaching actually decreases in frequency. Damn it! <laughs> I swear, some nights the show just uh, drives me mad. <laughs> what about you, listeners? You see why? You definitely got to pack them and smoke them. <laughs> you know, help you get through all this. But I believe he's right. It's from people that, that don't want us to talk about this, you know? Right. And, yeah, we're being cut out. So Yes. Uh, Sarfati, you get him on again, the show, and he'll tell you about the reverse Doppler. That'll be... In fact, I have a, uh, an interview with him. Damn it. I was just going to say, maybe I could set up a show for him, uh, Dr. Sarfati and Dr. Cornette to come on together. That would be cool. Wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, we're going to have to because someone's trying to prevent us here, it looks like. But look at that video. It's very interesting. 
<laughs> Interesting times indeed, and I don't have the patience. Anyway, I, it's it's one o'clock. Yeah, it's one o'clock, and I think uh, we're getting a message that this conversation is not going to be allowed to continue. <laughs> indeed, but did you hear me on my thought? Maybe would you be willing to be a, a guest on with Doctor Sarfati on this show to talk about this stuff? Sure, sure, I'd love to. Right, I've great. been on uh, shows with him before. Okay. All right, that sounds good. I'll let you know what I find out there. And, uh, indeed, we definitely got to pick this subject back up, and that's a good cliffhanger anyway to leave the show on. Uh, so I'd like to thank you very much for your time, sir. But before that, do you have any conferences or anything upcoming uh, or anything that you would like to say to the audience about anything you'd like to say about what you're doing or what's going on? Oh, crap. Why me? So. <laughs> Do you have any news or anything that you'd like to tell the audiences before you go? Uh, any conferences or anything upcoming that we should be alert to? Only that I was on a radio show for three hours yesterday. Huh. Um, and it was about all of the same stuff. But it also included the fact that I was asked to help a woman in need uh, by a in, uh, discarnate voice. And I helped her for seven years exactly. And she was extremely uh, psychic and uh, even tested by the Princeton Paranormal Lab. Huh. And uh, she uh, you know, could see into the future and everything else. And when she died, she came back to me. And, and then her spirit was uh, uh, on camera, was beamed up into a second sun and an overhead cloud uh, at our gravesite. My mother and I watched it as a, a golden beam of light came down from a second sun. And then later, with uh, the uh, software was uh, developed for that, uh, to, I could take frames off. And for uh, v uh, three frames out of a 30 frame per second, the cloud pulled back and revealed a huge white domed, double rimmed, flat bottom mothership in the cloud. I was married for seven years to an ET. What was that like? She was an amazing creature, amazing woman, absolutely amazing. So she wasn't a creature per se as an alien people would attribute. She looked just like us. She looked just like us. That's implicating in itself, isn't it? Well, if we were created in the image of God and his likeness, and God is ET. It wouldn't be perfect. They look like, they look like us. Right. And do you know the the one? There's ones that don't look like us because people speak in of course of them too. Huh. Yep. Very interesting. I think. Uh, oh. And and your wife's deceased. You said right. Yes. Right. Oh, sorry to hear that, sir. Uh, you know. Nineteen ninety-one. It was a long time ago. Mm. Uh, you're dealing with um, 30 years ago. How? Did, did you know that when you married her? Did you look at her no. funny? No, no, I mean, the first weekend we were together, she was telling me all sorts of amazing things and showing me, demonstrating, you know, that she could move objects with her mind. She could uh, hold a book between her uh, uh, hands and close her eyes and meditate and, and read the whole book when it's closed. And then have me open it up and and uh, tell me what page she's on. She said, recite what the uh, was on that page, and uh, she shit. could uh, you know 
see into the future, and she knew, knew when she was going to die, and uh, she had come here to Earth to fulfill biblical prophecy. And that is on that show that I did yesterday, and it just blew everybody away. What was the name uh, of that show, sir, so I and the listeners uh, that, that would like to hear more about this can listen to it? Oh, yes. It's um, Hold on. I'll give you a name of it in a, in a moment. All right, because I, I think that adds the flavor to the show. Yeah, why not? Why not uh, plug other shows, too? I mean, I don't care. No special clubs or special subscriptions here. We're out for the truth. Okay, hold on. I want to get the information on this correct. Um, and you lay out the whole story about your wife, too, and everything and all that. I mean, wow. Yes, I do. So I'll leave my questions till next time. Then <laughs> it's called midnight. It's called midnight society. Midnight society. All right. You know what? I'll if you could provide me a link, I'll add it to the archive page. Uh, throw a shout out, you know, to others and for you, so people to hear that. So you, wow. I, I want. I want to. I want to hear all that. You know. You, you definitely. <laughs> you definitely helped churn this machine this night, sir. That's all I'll say. <laughs> you know, it's a very thought-provoking and uh, a fun guest. Uh, I, I'll talk to Dr. Jackson Friday. Maybe we could set something up for next month if he's willing. I know he's busy. And that guy, i got to tell you, he's a pisser. He's a pisser. And, that, and, and, okay. that, and I think that's one of the great things about his mind, being who he is and, you know, what allows him to stand out. And uh, be who he is, you know. Gary, Gary, so, so, give me your email address, yes, would you sir. please? Yes, sir. Mar right Mars Revealer at gmail dot com. Mars Revealer at gmail dot com. I'll type it into the thing too. Maybe that's what you really meant. <laughs> All right, Doctor Jack Sarfati. Yeah, we had him on Mars a few weeks Revealer ago. at gmail dot com. Okay. Yes. Right. Yep, I got you. Okay, and you're going to get the email from Michelle and Tim, and and get that information about. They're going to have this up on on YouTube in in a few days. Okay, that'll be great. Then I can embed it then onto the archive page. Why not? <laughs> right. So right. continue to pack them and smoke them, everyone. And Dr. Bruce Cornett, it was awesome having you on. I look forward uh, to having you on again as we uh, make our fate. On the path to this and I'll, revelation. Uh, I'm going to give uh, my friend uh, Robert Harbour, who has that Inhabit Mars uh, channel on YouTube, mm -hmm. and which he, yeah. Yeah, that'll you be great. You still hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah. Nope. Yeah, that'll be great. I'd like to have him on, too. Maybe he'll have me on as a guest. I have a lot of the things to show about Mars, too. Yep. Don't forget. I'll, have, uh, I'll, I'll send him uh, information so he can contact you, okay? All right, thank you very much, sir. All right, again, All right. It's been you awesome. take care. You too. Good night. All right, good night. Bye bye. Right, bye. So, everyone, there you have it, Dr. Bruce Cornett, my buddy Frank Kinesia, has been telling me for some time. You know, get him on your show, Gary. What the fuck? Come on, get him on. And you know, everything goes in that order. I feel for the right time when I get that. I'm not going to say psychic. To me, I just get the sense of. Like a like a zap, like it's time, or that, that this person such and such will be good for this such and such. You know, it's weird. I'm a, I'm a crazy. Remember, 
you know. But I'm really fascinated by that face in that valley, wall killer, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> an insane asylum on the top right side of the face. <laughs> the right thalamic region. People said I was crazy, you know. And you don't know what happened to me when it happened, you know, when that happened. And uh, I, I still can't fully explain it. But according to some of the guests on this show, I, and thinking about it, me and Green can appreciate this from previous discussions, personal, that, uh, well, I might have died, but was helped into an alternate universe, reality, similar, but for a purpose for a new timeline. I wasn't lying when I said I'm phased back through time as well as this show. I'm crazy. We'll see. I do know that there were things that was done to me that Again, the past couple guests, listeners of this show could appreciate, had really took me aback. And I and I asked my personal reasons. I don't have to explain it to every fucking body on earth. Because it doesn't deal with them. But yet, it probably does. Maybe not all of them. I'm not something special that th that these things have happened. Other versions of yourself out there. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. I'm crazy. All I got to say, until next week, I don't think the week after there'll be a show. My co-producer, Mean Green, has got some things, personal things to deal with. And it is what it is. And uh, we wish him the best in that fucking awesome to be honest with you, you know, it's going to be much better and uh, for him as well as for the show in my opinion but of course it'll be so awesome but we're still striving please hit that big red white and blue American donate button because the forces that are trying to prevent us from talking about these things are not going to win again we're in a war and I'm here to secure our fate down through time as we make our fate to usher in the Martian revelation. What else can I say? It's just all mixed up.